0: Hey fellow tennis nerds, I hope all is well. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast. Today I'm with Tony Wright, a USPTA coach from Balanced Tennis. He has some very funny meme stuff that I really like on his Instagram. He's an excellent coach based out in Newport, beautiful location. And today we're going to talk about all things tennis, how he's got into the sport and how he became a coach and so on. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to it. Tony, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. That's a great intro. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, you, you get used to them after a while. Like it's, it's an important part of, of the content creation process. So, yeah, getting into that, like you, you have a really funny uh, content on your Instagram. Like, how do you come up with this stuff? Like using kind of like cinematic references into <laughs> tennis, which I find really. Um,
1: amusing. I guess it's a little bit of uh, my personal. I'm really big, so tennis is obviously a huge part of my life. But I love movies and cinema and series and just the art of storytelling. This is actually uh, what I studied in school, basically, in the brief time I was in school. So uh, I'm always watching movies. And uh, to be honest, it's just, there's stuff like that, I think exists for other sports and other things, just, you know, uh, culture, cultural references, I guess. And um, I don't know, I think I'm kind of early on the game of doing that when it comes to tennis. And, you know, content like that, basically, Uh, something I just, it wasn't the original idea with my page, but it's, my page has kind of morphed into a bunch of different things over the three years I've been doing it, and uh, it's connected very well, I'd say, and it's, it's actually a lot of fun to be, to be making them.
0: That's nice. Yeah, no, I I really, really find them amusing, and I'm also a big cultural reference guy, right, so I studied writing, uh, like, kind of, you know, fiction writing, fiction in general, uh, do you have anything you're watching right now that you can recommend? That because uh, I'm not watching a lot of fiction at the moment, you know. Oh my God!
1: Okay, well, I just finished watching. It. I'm late to it because I've seen so a lot of what I'll do is I'll be going on reels and I'll just look at movie clips and stuff like that. And uh, the boys, have you seen that yet? It's no, a no, no, series no. on Amazon. It's dark, dude. It's like it's like a realistic take on like what what if superheroes actually existed in the world? And uh, it's. I, I went I, I kind of stayed away from it for a couple years because I was like, ah, there's so much you know, it's just saturated, so much superhero stuff, but it's I've seen this character Homelander who's like a complete psychopath. Basically imagine Superman um in so many memes and stuff, and I didn't quite get it. And so eventually I was kinda like, Well, you know what, I should watch the series so I can maybe I can use this for something, but I wanna understand what it is first, and I just watched three seasons of that last week and <laughs> it's good it's easy to get sucked into but it's it's a little dark i don't know i don't know what your taste is like but like
0: it's uh it's really good yeah i, I like that stuff i mean i like all kinds <laughs> of, of fiction generally and it depends right. a little bit on the mood of course right you 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 know that how, how it works you know right? it's like if you're feeling oh, i want to watch something like that that's kind of like i guess black mirror stuff you know where it's pretty dark and yeah, that's uh, stuff that
1: like with my like i started the boys with my wife and she's like you're on your own like you're yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah okay
0: not for everyone everybody has different tastes so it's sometimes hard to find like a, a joint passion you know uh, but we have a joint passion in tennis so so that's great like so you went from you started creative writing how did you get into tennis when did you start in your life with tennis
1: uh so i started tennis to be competitive it was super late i think i started when i was sometime between 11 and 12 years old i was um I played different sports, traditional American stuff, you know, t-ball, soccer, football. Um, and nothing really stuck when I was a kid. I, I enjoyed running around. I was fairly athletic, and I got into skateboarding and was doing that. Um, and then my parents were basically divorced, so I would have I would go see my dad on the weekends, and just I think he was just trying to figure out what to do with me. And uh, he's like, hey, let's get into tennis. I just moved to this place. There's tennis courts across the street and I really didn't want to do it. I thought it was like super lame to be honest because I thought I was a skater kid and uh, it was like a city class once every Sunday and I kind of figured out the basics um and then my dad would take me every weekend out to this park and just kind of feed me balls and I started to really enjoy it. Um it was crazy we you know, wall, like typical Walmart situation, the balls that came in that little mesh sack that don't bounce and you know, really just trying to figure out what how to play this game. And, um, yeah, he was learning as I was learning. So we kind of were able to rally with each other. Uh, and then it was just a public park basically. So there was like a core group of like these, uh, Samoan guys who would come like sometimes directly from their construction job. They would come with their lunch pail and boots and switch out into like their tennis gear. And, uh, they would kind of take over four courts at this park and, um, uh, they allowed me to hit with them basically, and little by little, I kind of picked up the sport like that. And it was uh, it was actually a lot of fun. They were like huge, scary dudes, you know, a bunch of tattoos. Um, but they were so nice and so joyful on the tennis court, and were really it was really nice of them to include me in their group. And uh, so basically, from that, I had like a solid group of people to hit with, um, pretty much five days a week, uh, whenever I could get to the park. And um, I took one or two lessons. I was a part of junior team tennis, which wasn't super competitive. Um I did have I, I thought I was, you know, getting really good basically. I saw a coach. I was serving in the classic like western forehand grip basically until he was like, hey man, you you can't play like this. Like you're this is your ceiling. It's as good as you're gonna get and it kind of ruined my life, uh, for like six months until I figured out how to properly do it. Um, played high school tennis. Nobody in my family had ever Played so they thought, hey, if you make a varsity team, great, you're a good player. And obviously did that, won my league, all of all of that stuff. Uh, didn't really want know what I wanted to do education wise, so I went to junior college, and um, that's where I started studying. You know, I fell into film and you know storytelling stuff like that. Basically, played on the junior college team. I met for the first time South American players, European players, and that's when I was like, oh shit, I'm actually not. Not that good. (laughs) Uh, So I got better, but never really played a super high level and uh, fell into coaching by my junior college coach went on vacation. Uh, He's like, hey, can you fill in for me um, while I'm out? Just feed some balls and just, you know, don't don't fuck up, basically. So uh, luckily I didn't. And that kind of got me in at one tennis club. Uh, So when summer camps came around, they're like, hey, you know, you're you're capable. We'll have you in and i kind of started like that basically kind of working my way up working for different you know it went from high performance academy to just summer camps to now i'm mainly teaching just adults um i was folding towels at the front desk of a tennis club trying to get in before i've kind of done a lot to try to get uh kind of to where i am now and uh somehow i did it i don't know how and now i've got this Instagram that kind of feeds into that. So it's, it's been quite a ride actually.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's a great, um, a great that you're do, doing, different content on Instagram because there's, there's so much coaching content. And I do talk to a lot of online coaches, uh, all great coaches, but it's like, it, it can be a bit saturated. So it's nice to have a different take on, on, I mean, you can still do a different take on tennis, for example, and, and still find maybe also other angles of the coaching, uh, depending on who you coach, for example, do you coach like a lot of rec players like different ages or is it kids or what's what's your common day
1: yeah a normal day is you i do have a few uh juniors that i think can be pretty good um but mainly it's like my day-to-day is like recreational adults it it used to be like i said i you know full day like those academies where basically room and board is provided homeschooling all of that Um, but now it's, and actually I, I kind of find that I enjoy teaching adult beginners a lot more, um, because I can actually see a difference. I have these groups, it's called, uh, Tennis 101. It's like a program I run at my club. It's like a four-week session, and it's so great to be able to see, like, from week one, a a progression to week four of, like, hey, we're, we're rallying, we're hitting with topspin, and I can really see sort of a difference that I've made. Um, so day-to-day, it's usually, like, in the mornings, uh, like I said, no lessons this morning, it's a holiday here, um, like, moms, basically. I have a group called the Tennis Moms, actually, so I'm kind of, like, helping them come, come along, like, I started, this is, like, my third, sort of, group of beginners, my third iteration of it. I've had other two that went from complete beginners to now they're playing in leagues and competing, doing tournaments, which is really cool to see, um, but yeah, like I said, I, I kinda have everything across the board and now I'm I'm luckily in a position to where I'm basically working for myself so I can kinda pick and choose what lessons I take. Cause uh I've had a lot of situations where I'm I'm working for someone else and they just say, Hey, here's here's a lesson you have to do and, and those can be really long hours,
0: basically. Yeah, I think the tough part for a coach is when you have these and I have several friends that I mean, one recently quit, like when they're doing like eight, nine, 10 hour days, and it's just lesson after lesson after lesson. And obviously you're not going to be able to give your all to a student or feel good about it. And also your body was going to, even if you're just feeding balls for most of the part, it, it's going to, your body's going to feel that like standing on that you know, concrete or hard court for so many hours. So I think that makes a lot of sense that you can give more quality instead of quantity.
1: Yeah. And I can see a a noticeable difference because another thing with sometimes coaching like kids, especially if it's like recreational juniors, sometimes they don't want to be there. It's the situation where the parent is like, you know, either really trying to force them into it or is like, hey, here's just something to do after school. And uh, those are tough. (laughs) Those are really, really tough. And I've, like I said, I've, I've done that for years. I used to work like up until like when I started taking my social media page a little bit more seriously, I was doing what I'm doing now on top of working for a junior program in the afternoon, which is great because it's it's good hours. It's basically I, I show up. I don't have to hustle for lessons. It's, you know, the group is there. I just have to teach it and do a good job. But uh, then you're kind of stuck on the court for, you know, 15, 20 hours a week at least on top of whatever I'm doing for my adults at the club and then I'm trying to make content for my, my page. And it's just, it got to be a bit too much to where I I decided. Yeah. I had to choose. All right. I'm either doing juniors or I'm doing adults and I went the way of adults. And and actually I, I love it. It's, it used to be intimidating coming from coaching only juniors where you can kind of be kind of silly and ah, ha ha, like laugh around and just have a good time. Um, but once you kind of find your voice as a coach, like I, it's so much more beneficial. I find teaching, adults just the connections you can make just in general just like you know business or life it's it's been great
0: do you feel like you get a better kind of response in terms of gratitude from the adults i mean partly it's it they're easier obviously for them to voice their feedback to you whether it's positive or, or maybe negative or something they struggle with than then juniors who are kind of growing into their own bodies a hundred percent yeah i mean there's pros and cons right because
1: sometimes when you're teaching adults it's almost like a tough conversation of like, all right, like physically, you know, it's just, you need to get stronger physically, or you're just, you know, you're too slow, or you don't move well enough. And that's, that's, you know, you have to have a sort of a bedside manner. Um, With with a junior, you know, the potential is almost limitless, basically, because they're so, you know, limber and flexible. And, you know, sometimes very quick in receiving like a technical, like, adjustment where it just happens immediately. And that's, normally doesn't happen with an adult but when it comes to kind of the back and forth communication of course an adult like they they know how to communicate that a little bit better whether they like it or not because like you said sometimes they don't like it and it's like okay you know what sorry you know (laughs) if this doesn't work for you it's okay
0: How, how do you deal with that when you have someone who's kind of being very counter to what you're trying to advise or trying to change
1: yeah i get that um Quite a bit, actually. Um, just kind of have to get used to it. And, and what I the circumstance usually is, is it'll be a, a club player, someone that's in a league. And uh, it's interesting because to me, growing up, tennis was kind of like, like I said, first it was just playing at the park and then it became sort of competitive tournaments. And I, I didn't realize that there is a whole world of sort of social tennis where technique isn't perfect. There's all sorts of weird things. Backhand volley looks like this, you know? Um, And so when I got at my club, there's always league matches going on and I would have these people come and I would simulate double scenarios, you know, typical tactical things. And they would tell me like, that's not what happens. That's not how it goes. And it's like, really? And so I started to watch and it's, it's crazy. Like the, the, technical things that they're doing and how they play. So I'll get them on court and be like, hey, you, your forehand, you need a unit turn, needs to go like this. Um, and like, yeah, that's not what I wanna do. And it's like, oh, okay. And like, so a lot of it, the feedback is just kind of like, yeah, I'm not, you know, you can't change my grip. This is just what it is. And then it's kind of a little bit of a back and forth where I, I usually I just kind of put it this way. I said, hey, like think of it as floor and ceiling. Like this is your floor and this is your ceiling. Now, if you make this adjustment, Maybe the floor is the same, but the ceiling is a little bit higher. If you can start to, you know, serve properly in a continental grip, find a trophy pose, make a proper loop on your forehand unit turn. Um, So, yeah, it's actually fairly common. I mean, not, I wouldn't say they're regular students because they'll usually come for one and be like, hey, take, can you take a look at my game and let me know what I can work on. And then usually it kind of goes nowhere from there unless, um, unless somebody's like really serious about it. And I have clients like that too, where it's like, okay, you know what? We're going to do this for eight weeks or something and we're going to work on it and then kind of reassess from there and uh but that takes a whole different mentality and and mindset actually because it's you fail so much before you start to see any type of reward and that that can be difficult
0: yeah and i that i can see probably is why it's also nicer to work with beginners because tennis is such a difficult sport right so then you can mold something from the start and you can avoid some of these bad habits that we all have but with some players are really deeply ingrained and that's why they don't want to change like for example if you're 50 or 60 or or even 70 maybe you're you're stuck with your continental forehand uh, it it feels so difficult to change it it's like learning a new language Uh, while maybe it's not as bad in reality but it feels that way and then you kind of your whole like group of muscle will, will start you know refusing to do anything and and then your head says no so I I, I can understand why beginners is a little bit better in that sense
1: I right? love it yeah yeah because a lot of these players are they have weekly matches in leagues and they don't want to try the new you know the new forehand because oh man I, I don't want to lose and it's uh it's kind of difficult like like I get it like you said I get a lot of like hey you know no thank you or that's not going to work for me and I kind of you know it's not personal it's like hey I'm just trying to help you and that's that's okay if you don't you know if if you're not open to it it's fine you know you're not to be rude but it's like you're not going to improve like this but maybe you're not going to get any worse so if you're comfortable with that then that's okay
0: what are the most typical issues you see from from rec players is it all over the place or there's something that you kind of encounter over and over again that you almost want to create like a video here watch this and, and then we'll talk after that five minutes later
1: i really should and kind of how you mentioned there's the the market is so saturated with you know Tennis coaches on court doing like, you know, with the big X, don't do this. And like that's stuff that I never really see myself doing, but I I do kind of want to make a video just internally for some members and be like, hey, these are sort of like the foundational things that I think we all need. Um, a lot of it is the the forehand where it just drops. It just goes straight down. There's no arc. It's a ton of that into like a sort of continental eastern type of grip where they're just kind of muscling it, that um, is huge. And then mainly the the serve, it's just the the waiter's tray palm up and we're just kind of pushing it. And I mean, it's really interesting because I I see all sorts of crazy things that somehow it's not supposed to work, but it, it kind of works. And they find, people find these wild ways to make decent shots actually, but it's just like, it seems so difficult to repeat it again and again and like it's just inefficient but i would say the main main things is service waiter's tray and then just lack of a proper unit turn and different grips and stuff like that
0: yeah i can imagine that and and do you see any kind of common injuries like that like the t- is tennis elbow pretty frequent still or is it like you don't seeing that's you're not seeing that so much um there's tennis
1: elbow and also i think at my club it's um uh... It's kind of an older crowd, so you see a lot of knee braces and stuff like that and, like, the the arm sleeves, if that does anything, I don't know. Um, and actually, this is pertinent to you, like, I see a lot of people using, in my opinion, like, the wrong rackets. I see so many RF-97s and it's like, I wouldn't even use that. I'm Like, I don't even consider myself good enough to use that. That's, like, insane. Like, how, why, what is a five player doing with an RF-97? And that's, that's also a very common thing where it's like, hey, I, I think that's kind of holding you back a little bit.
0: I find it really difficult to talk to people about, because like, I, I do a lot of consultations with people from all levels, like from pros to beginners. And when people find, like, the, I mean, the diehard fans in tennis are like Fed, Rafa, and Novak. You know, those are the three. Like, if, if, you, if you give some shit to one of these icons, even like the slightest, smallest critique or comment these people will come after you. it's kind of the social media, how social media works. And, uh, you know, I'm a fan of all three in in, in many ways. They're all amazing athletes. Uh, And I was a big fan of Federer, obviously, when I got back into tennis. And, but I must say, like, he has probably hurt more players than he has helped them. He has inspired people to play tennis, but he has, in a way, inadvertently, not, you know, on purpose, like forced people to play worse tennis because it's all like super aggressive, no thinking, just going for your shot. Playing with the RF ninety seven or even a Pro Staff ninety seven, which is pretty heavy for most rec players, and it's just like making them probably play too aggressively and make too many errors, and and that's something I see, and and I guess is that something you see as well over there.
1: One hundred percent, yeah. Like I said, the the blacked out RF ninety seven was like it's a, great, every... it's a beautiful racket, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, but it was like, man, you shouldn't you shouldn't be using that. Like um, a lot of Babolats, which. Uh, stiff rackets you know not to throw any shade but like i i think some players are you know if you're a recreational player why are you using rpm blast and you know a pure drive strung at 55 it just doesn't doesn't make any sense and so that's part of what i'll do too something where even if somebody comes and they don't want to change their technique which because i've like i've actually been a fan of your youtube and your page for quite a while now so i've kind of learned a lot from you uh and so i'll kind of take your racket consultation and pass it on to them and be like hey you should try you know try something different try a softer racket try a looser tension or something like that and so i try to help however i can but yeah a bit of it is just kind of and i i think a lot of it too is like the older people the Technology was, I wouldn't know, but, like, was different. And so they learned tennis differently. Uh, And I think that's where the just the drop comes from and the grips comes from. But, um, yeah, just a lot of (laughs) unnecessary choices, I would say, on the tennis courts. But, I mean, they're still out there playing and, like, seeking advice, like, trying to get better, even if they're not willing to make a change immediately. Um, And that's a really cool thing. But, like, as you said, it, it is a lot easier to start molding a beginner from the beginning. But um, it is kind of difficult too, because you have to teach your students to be patient with themselves because it's not, you know, I've never played pickleball, but it's not like pickleball where you can get on a court and just figure it out in 15, 20 minutes and actually have fun. Like in, for my tennis one oh ones I tell them on day one, I said, Hey, like we might not be able to actually play or rally until like week three. So, like, just, you know, be patient with yourself. It, it's going to take time. But once you get that reward of being able to to rally and hit, like, I think you'll be interested in the sport then.
0: I think that's a big benefit of tennis. That's my personal opinion is that, like, compared to pickleball, it takes a little bit of time. But the level of, I mean, the feeling of, of getting there is also a benefit. Like, some I mean, hard things are valuable, right? So even if something's very difficult, whether you're running marathons, learning tennis or you know learning a new language whatever it, it, the benefit of just getting to that end point or even the journey there is is quite good so going for the easy way out uh, which sometimes i mean pickleball or fast food whatever you want to call is it, not always the the best idea you know 100%
1: no that's a good way to put it um you actually you hit on something i wanted to ask um uh, so like i get some people intermediate level that want to use like um uh, you know the new prestige Like, I want to use a difficult racket so I can get my footwork right. So I can, you know, so it's not because if I'm using a clash or whatever, it's going to be too easy. And like, what do you say in a consultation to somebody like that, basically? Because I'll get that from time
0: to time. And I'm kind of like,
1: yeah, I guess. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I think, yeah, it's it's so personal. Like, I've struggled with this question as well. It's so personal. Like, if you're playing with a prestige, you might think that it forces you to, to work harder, which is good. Ideally you should work as hard with the clash and just make sure you prepare the racket earlier because I think the problem people have in general is that they don't you know they're not prepared with the racket so they they will hit too flat you know and the ball will fly out so they feel like they lack control but it's really that they they are not preparing properly right that's generally it because topspin comes from the racket preparation and being there on time and we you know we all do this from time to time but it's it's one of the most common things i see is that they're late so the racket is then blamed for the lack of control when it really it could actually help them so much if they just learn to just add that little bit extra of topspin, you know? Um, if you, I think sometimes the, the low-powered prestige, even if it feels great, might lead to worse habits because they're going to keep hitting the ball flat, because now they have control also on these flat cannon shots or whatever. But it's not going to be a long-term solution. I feel like it's it's better in technically, although it's a du- difficult question to just learn, try to focus more on like how can I control the power of this racket? how do where do I go from there? Like or the you know the low angle being a bit higher, how, how can I control that? I think they they're, they're going to see quicker improvements and be better players from doing that. On the other hand, the other answer is that. Whatever makes you happy and feels good. Because I understand some people, like, I played this tournament uh, this week, right? And I played a guy in the semifinals. It was an open tournament, so there were some good players. It's a mixed uh, level. Uh, And there was a coach from the Netherlands, and he loves old procedures. He had, like, PT-57A, which is, like, the, you know, goat racket, you know, whatever. And he played it with a multifilament string, like, head rip control. Making a video about that uh, tonight, actually, when we're talking. And... The thing is, like, it works for his game. He has old-school game, you know. He, he plays old-school. He plays nice tennis, serve and volley, uh, good feel. And that's how he enjoys tennis. He doesn't want to play with a modern racket, you know. His son plays with a modern racket, but he doesn't want to do it. So, it also what makes, you know, you smile and have fun on the tennis court. But I think you really need to, to understand that the problem with most modern rackets is that they don't handle them properly. It's like they, they still swing with the, the wrong mechanic, you know, and that's... That's something you can usually work on. So maybe the answer is somewhere in between, uh, or or it's just yeah whatever makes you you happy, I guess. But that's that's my thinking around it because it's a complicated issue because there's so many personal uh, you know personal journeys in tennis. Right, right. No, that's that's good. You made the set the semis of an open. That, you're playing good, man. Yeah, no, it it wasn't that super strong, but you know I, I'm playing <laughs> more and more. Um, tournaments at least. So I have an ITF seniors, you know, uh, coming this week and my foot is really fucked up. So I have to, I'm trying to rehab it. We'll see. Oh no. no. Getting older, I guess. Or I mean injuries come for everyone. Right. But um, same man.
1: I had wrist surgery in February and that kind of really set me back and kind of almost gave my career sort of a left turn basically where it's almost like, oh wow, I, maybe I can't do this forever. You know, I'd, I shouldn't put all my my eggs in this one basket, basically, which has led into me taking my Instagram and social media more seriously. But the injuries come for you, and it's kind of like
0: you just got to be ready, I guess. <laughs> yeah, of course. What what happened to the wrist? Was it like a tennis uh, thing that that kind of built up, or
1: it it had to be like it, I was teaching a lesson and kind of like a like a hitting lesson type of thing and. I was running. I was on the outside. I was running to the deuce court, running forehand, slapped it, was late. And like there was a a popping. It didn't really hurt. It didn't feel that different than just being late on any forehand. But little by little, it just kind of got worse and worse and more uncomfortable. And uh, to the point that was like in September, to the point where like in November, I was in a a brace when they're like, oh, you probably sprained it didn't improve. Uh, I actually started playing left-handed just so I could still stay on the court and just kind of do my thing. Uh, and then they were like, no, you need surgery. It was like my ligaments were all splayed out and they needed to cut it and reattach and reorganize everything. So, uh, so yeah, I was out for probably the majority of part of this year, which was not very fun. It was the first time. Cause basically since when I started, uh, when I was like 11 to that point I never stopped playing and I know that's a common thing for people after college or after trying to play tournaments they take a break and then they come back so luckily I never never stopped but this was the first time in my life that I was not playing at all and it was it was kind of difficult mentally to be honest that and then on top of it, it's like oh wow well, I'm not able to do my job anymore so um, yeah but luckily it, there's still a few times where I'll hit a ball and it'll be eh, so I, I gotta be careful about like my my racket and string setup to try to protect it a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was tennis thing and hopefully I never have to go through it again.
0: Yeah, it's rough. I mean people don't sometimes maybe realize the overuse you put on the body especially I mean if you're a coach you're even if you're not hitting every lesson super hard. but even as a player like I play five six times a week, I mean five maybe. Uh, but it's been a lot of tennis the last few years because of Tennis Nerds. So it's like my job and I'm playing all the time, you know, and testing new strings, new rackets, new everything. Uh, so you obviously have to really warm up. I really put a lot of effort into my warm-up, which I didn't do before. Like, I, you know, gym, doing like stretching in, in, in the morning, trying to take some care, you know. Uh, because this can happen at any time. Happened to a friend of mine recently as well, the wrist. Uh, especially depending on your technique, I guess, if you have a bit of a wristier shot, which can be very nice for the kind of rotations of the ball it can generate, but it can also put so much more strain on the wrist, right? So it's uh, it's a tough one. So uh, it's also like, almost like what happened during, <laughs> I mean, it's a weird re- re- relationship, but it's like in COVID, we all had to think about what, what happens now. Like, what am I going to do with my life if, if I can't go back to playing tennis or go back to whatever you were doing? And you had that with your injury here. You like, and I, like Dominic team, for example, also with a wrist injury. You know, when you're in that kind of dark hole of like, now my life is changing. Maybe you know, or do I just have to be patient? Like, how how was you? How did you cope with that? How did you deal with it? Like, how, how was the the best and the worst moments from the, from that period?
1: Um, man, there was. I mean, and on top of that, like, at least here in Southern California, it was like the rainiest winter we had and so long so it was like I'm just sitting on the couch like so when I had the surgery I didn't really know I guess I didn't ask enough questions basically but like I was kind of like she said oh it's going to be a small thing we're just going to you know open you up here and do this or whatever and I woke up and I had like a cast to hear and I was like what happened like um and so yeah I was just sitting on the couch with this big cast and it's like raining for days outside and it was it was kind of depressing but um I mean, luckily, actually, the San Diego Open came, uh, I live in Orange County, so San Diego's about an hour away. San Diego Open, uh, came through that November, it was last year, so, uh, and the turnout was fantastic, I think. It, it coincided with the WTA finals being in Dallas, so, like, eight of the top ten were there, so, uh, I kind of, that was a nice, probably a high point. I got to just, the tickets were super cheap. So I got to sit courtside and just kind of watch all these, you know, WTA players, Iga and Sabalenka. It was, it was fun. Um, Dark time was just kind of rehab stuff. Like you're just doing, I felt like I was just doing the same thing again and again and again. Uh, And just, I don't know, I, I feel like I'm a fairly positive guy. I try to find the sense of humor and things, so it wasn't that dark, but uh it just got repetitive, just kind of doing the same things again and again. And luckily, like around I would say post Indian wells, so like at the end of March in April, I was able to kinda of get back onto the court and like I said, I before my surgery I realized I I was able to play left handed, which is something I wished I would have known from the beginning, basically. <laughs> um, not great, but I mean, I could I could sustain a rally and play matches and stuff and, you know, actually like play proper tennis. So there was a little bit of a comfort area of like coming back of like, okay, if the wrist isn't exactly ready, I can just play lefty. Um, and so that's kind of how I managed it. Just, you know, trying to see the humor and things, uh, even though it was a bit of a bummer, but luckily it was kind of a temporary thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's good, that's good. And also, I mean, being having a positive disposition, I think, always helps. Like, in any kind of situation where you're tested, you know, we're all tested at times in our life, and we need to just stay a little bit strong and, and happy. And the way you, if you look at things in a more com- comedic light, in a way, it usually helps. You know, you're like, just like, okay, I ha- I am here where I am, I just have to deal with it from now on. So how are you exactly. able to play lefty? That's, I mean, my left hand can't do shit, you know? It's like a useless <laughs> thing hanging. It feels like I can play guitar pretty well. Uh, nice. But but that's that's about that you know. But uh, but tennis would be tough. Left hand, I do you know one-handed backhand, uh, which is still not good. But but still, like I, I'm not <laughs> very good with the double hander. You so you play double-handed as well, and, and then you're, you're I, le- I play serious with the lefty.
1: Yeah, I played lefty forehand, two-hand backhand. Uh, I mean it honestly, and this is a great exercise just for anyone. Like my wife sort of plays. She's a beginner. I just ask her, hey, can you come on out and we would do mini tennis for, like, an hour of just trying to get down, like, my lefty forehand cross-court and then the other way. And, like, I know some members at my club, they're like, oh, fuck mini tennis, I hate it, it's so boring. But it's actually, like, a really good exercise. So I started just with that, and then once I kind of started seeing the shape of the ball, I was like, you know what, I, I think I could do this, and then ball machine at the club, and just repetitions, and I had nothing but time, basically. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure how. I wish I would know, like, like I said, I wish I would have known years ago, but, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of a nice novelty, I guess, because now I'm back playing right-handed, of course, but, uh, once in a while, like, if I'm running to my backhand, I might be able to hit a lefty, (laughs) a lefty passing shot if someone comes forward, but, uh, but yeah, that, that timeout helped, because it kind of just opened my mind, because before I was so... I guess, comfortable of saying like, okay, well, I'm a tennis coach, you know, because it's something that I've, I've worked for and I wanted to be for so many years. And I finally became like a club pro working for myself. Um, and that was, it's an amazing, it's a blessing, really, that I get to basically play tennis for a living. That's sort of a win for me, you know, in, just in life. But uh, once that was kind of like the possibility of that, maybe, hey, you can't do this anymore. Um, it opened my mind to where like, okay, now I have to start looking at Staying in the tennis industry, but maybe finding different avenues and different things to do. And luckily, I have this platform of balanced tennis that has kind of opened some doors for me. And that's kind of I'm still coaching, but I'm also still kind of navigating, seeing what other opportunities and things that might be able to come my way.
0: So when you um, studied back in school, I I thought about this for a while now, but I wanted to ask. But um, so you were in the creative mindset, the creative, you know, maybe you wanted to be like a writer or what was your kind of goal when you were in school?
1: I wasn't sure. I just wanted, I was fascinated at like storytelling basically, because ever since I was, uh, so when I was a kid, like I would watch probably movies that I shouldn't have been watching, but these fantastic movies, you know, Goodfellas and A Clockwork Orange and these like really wild movies that are like, they really made you, for example, like A Clockwork Orange. It's like, have you seen
0: it? Yeah, of course, man. Okay,
1: so it's like, this is a terrible person, but, like, why am I, like, kind of rooting for him in a way? Like, and that's, like, a really interesting thing that, like, kind of caught my mind, like, when I was younger and trying to understand how did how did the writer and director make me feel this way, basically. So uh, I just wanted to learn everything that I could, basically, about filmmaking. So at, at the junior college where I was at, it had, like, a great program to where I learned how to edit and, you know, we went through Joseph Campbell's like books and just learning the you know character arcs and stuff like that. And there wasn't really a a particular goal in a sense of like oh I, I want to do this. It was just satisfying a, a curiosity basic of like how how does this work? And uh, luckily I was able to learn what I could. I did have um, an opportunity. I was going to go to NYU and play tennis. Um, that was kind of set up, but then you know, they weren't going to help me because it's like division three. There's no proper scholarship or anything like that. And it was expensive. And I just didn't go. Basically, I ended up staying, uh helping with my, my mom's family business and starting to kind of find my way in as a coach. So I never exactly pursued that all the way. I don't know where that could have gone. Not sure. But it was more of a satisfying a curiosity more than anything. And uh in a way, I mean, back then, I guess Facebook existed and like Instagram wasn't what it is. But now when I'm kind of making the stuff that I'm making, it it helps so much to be familiar with editing and timing and tempo. And so it, it kind of became very useful, but it's not it's not at all how I thought I would be using these skills that I learned.
0: Well, that's funny how life works, right? Because I, <laughs> I studied uh, journalism in, in Washington, D.C., I, I worked there as a, as a journalist, like as an intern for in the White House, and I was like, not figuring out exactly, uh, it was a cool experience, like not figuring out exactly how this would, you know, be in my life, or if I would stay like that forever. And now I do my own editing of the videos and stuff with Tennis Nerd and stuff. And then you can use, I mean, I was only editing audio because it was like talk radio news. So we were doing like mainly audio bits and stuff. And that was like MP3. So this was ages ago, right? Uh, and then you learned editing software, even if it was audio. And then I could use that for music because I, I, music is my hobby. Or And also now with because Final Cut and stuff is much easier when you know like how timelines work and how this type like and with clips. And I'm still not not even close to good at it, but at least you have the basics to start with, right? So right. And getting
1: cool. better. Dude, I would say, like, from watching your, your old stuff to now, it's like you got better. Like, it's it's awesome. It's part of the process, right? Like, and it's yeah, not thanks. saying it was bad before,
0: but you were figuring it out. Right. Just the same as me, basically. Yeah, you can go like there's interesting routes to go. Like, I mean, some people, they if they have the money to do it, like you can go and hire one. I kind of like learning it so even though it's painful for me and also for some my viewers or listeners or whatever i i prefer just going through the process of, of improving it and instead of getting someone can you help me do this because then i'm not learning it so i'm not now i feel like at least i know know the basics of it i'm not, not going to be like cult tennis or someone like that but at least you know a little bit yeah exactly he's very good uh how to tell the the story you know so uh, and what you know to include and not to include and be pretty harsh like what well, in in journalism school i there was one thing that that was really strong it was like this kill your darlings like be able to we had this old textbook maybe you did in in your university as well like with like uh, strunk i think there was strunk and someone else it's a very yeah, audio strunk
1: and white yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: everybody had to do that you know it's like kill your darlings be super strict with every single word and uh, i'm a talker so i'm not always strict with with words as people can tell me but when i write i try to keep it a little bit more you know uh to the minimum if i can and and i do edit away a lot in my videos which people maybe not know because it's a bit blobby, blubby but still <laughs> i do edit it a lot. no for sure
1: no and, and i think part of that process is you know i'm sure there's a lot of people like me that have been following along for a while where you can see the improvement people like especially me like i root for that i'm like hey like you're when you started inviting people on like the show it's like hey that's that's cool that's a great idea like um uh, so yeah kind of the, the audience kind of in a way grows with you so uh same way I like I mean this so after I started getting credentials and stuff for tournaments I started like I was like I need a website so I I don't know anything about how to do that but like I'm figuring it out basically I mean nothing too technical drag and drop type of stuff but just like same thing basically it's like you know what I because I had friends like just hire someone to do it and it's like no I don't think so I I mean I could but I want to I want to be able to at least take my shot at it. And then if it sucks, okay, then maybe I'll get some help.
0: Yeah, and also I think it's like, it's part of the fun, right? So I think that the process is part of the fun with everything. I mean, even like my own tennis or, you know, it's like, it's fun to work on something. Sometimes it feels like shit and you wanna quit, but that's also a part of your improvement process, right? So you have to go through it. And when you get to a point where you feel like you improved, even if it's 1%, you feel much better, whatever it is, right? You feel like, oh, I actually improved a little bit. I'm I'm better at this now than I was, you know, a year ago or six months ago, whatever.
1: Right. And you're, uh, I think you said, you're kind of self-taught, right? You kind of uh, figured it out though. That's so cool. YouTube self-taught or like just watching matches
0: and just getting out and tinkering and figuring it out. Like I I did, like I did uh, do tennis in uh, when I was like six to eight or something, very, very young. And then I quit for many years. I played chess. And I started playing in like in my twenties, you know, so it was like a kind of that, And then I started getting into, I took actually some lessons then, but then, then it's been right. Like a process of just learning to play properly. But like the tennis obsession helps because I was a little bit tennis obsessed when I was younger. I don't know why I fell away. Sometimes you just don't don't have time or, you know, you're doing other shit. I, I was guitar and, and chess was kind of my things that took my time you know so uh, and running I was a, a big runner that's why I ruined my knees <laughs> for tennis <laughs> a little bit but uh, but now I'm feeling good and uh, and I'm trying to improve a little bit every all the time you know with the tennis and stuff but but you don't know, obviously I think for people uh, this is something I talk about maybe you've noticed that as well with your students is that if you get into something late Obviously, there's a big journey that has to happen, especially something as technical as tennis. Even guitar, like I have friends who are ex-pros who started guitar very late, and then it's a hassle, obviously, to learn something late. You know, so it's a big benefit to start when you're a kid. But on the other hand, the love for the thing you're doing is probably stronger because you have more appreciation when you're older. So you feel like, oh, I love this so much. I love doing it. Doesn't matter if you're a beginner or intermediate, or whatever. And I feel like that's the way sometimes with tennis, if people have played it since they were kids, maybe they're not as much in love with it, you know, as if they are like older beginners, for example.
1: Right. A hundred percent. And you almost, this is something I was talking about with a friend. It's like to learn tennis as an adult, or I guess this applies to any super technical, difficult thing. It's like, you have to be kind of a sicko in a way, because you're going (laughs) to, you're going to fail so much and it's going to suck. But like, this is kinda of cliche, but if you kind of fall in love with the process, it becomes not easy, but it's easier to accept these things and you just kind of flow through it and then and then you fall in love with it. I can I can see actually <laughs> the other day I was in the pro shop um talking to the the court desk and they're like, hey, how was your lesson? And I'm like, you know what? Like with this group, they're starting I sounded like a drug dealer, but it's like they're start I can see it. They're starting to get addicted. They're like they're we were actually able to rally and like they're having fun and like so yeah, you can as as a coach, I can start to notice when players hit that mark of like like that group. I didn't teach them last week but they were out on a court on their own and that's so good to see where it's like hey and i i tell students that it's like hey i love to facilitate your tennis obviously it helps me make a living but you have to go out and do this on your own like i can't you know i can't be the only person to facilitate your tennis and so anyways you can you can as a coach you can see that process and it's very very fulfilling
0: i think that's huge like when you see the smile on their face like i i did this with my my mother, for example, she's a beginner, my, my stepfather, he's he's a pretty decent player for his age, like 65. But she started and they started playing together and uh, he's not the best technical coach. So I had to come in a little bit and say, okay, use this equipment and then use, maybe you have to start learning how to hit some balls with topspin and, and learn, you know, move more than your husband because he's not moving. <laughs> uh, and wh- when you start seeing the rallies back and forth and there's ability to hit with some spin and control. It's just, like, so addictive. You know it yourself. The feeling when you get to that point. I mean, it takes longer in tennis than in pickleball, for example, or even paddle. But when you get there, it's like, you know, you're hooked. Most, exactly. most of the time, you're hooked, you know. You're going to be playing this sport maybe for the rest of your life. So, it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful experience, right? It really is. In Newport, like, and in the U.S. in general, like, there's, there's now pickleball wars. I don't want to really get into that too much. But it's interesting, like, how... <laughs> US has become kind of a country that's e- very easily polarized with the, with the politics with everything it is everything. nothing right sadly uh 20 years ago I lived there so I, it wasn't as as like that back then yeah uh, you were it, in the belly of the beast dc yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a bit like lighter in that terms of the polarization i think it's maybe you know heavily influenced in many ways by social media and and all that stuff but but you have pickleball it's great that people are moving even if it's slight movement on the rise and you know when i talk to tennis coaches it, it's a thing that's there like it, we don't feel it so much in europe we have paddle and tennis but they seem to coexist a bit better uh with are no like paddle and tennis wars as far as i'm aware you know in, in europe it's like okay you play paddle we play tennis it's fine you know we can have a chat afterwards while pickleball seems to create frustration among tennis players because of courts and and whatnot and vice versa. So how's your situation where, where you are? And uh, is tennis doing fine still? Um. So at my club,
1: luckily, basically, we're like the club is right in the middle of this neighborhood. So pickleball would never be allowed in the sense because it's just too it's too loud. Um. Yeah. So and also our club is not really looking to. Well, first of all, they, it would never happen for the noise. But also it's just they're not going to invest any money in changing anything. Um, there is a, a, so in, in Newport beach, there's three tennis clubs within like three miles, basically super close. So one of the clubs basically converted into one of the biggest pickleball facilities, I would say in Southern California, they have like proper tournaments and events. They built like a stadium, um, and, like, when it comes to the wars, I, I know I'll make some some memes and content. And, and to be honest, it's just... It's low-hanging fruit, I know. Basically, if I post something about Pickleball, it's a slow day. It's kind of like, I didn't have any other ideas or I find some antagonistic video and I just find something clever to say about Pickleball. But, like, in reality, it doesn't bother me that much. It's kind of like, hey, if you, if you want to go out and play something that's easy to play with your family or easy to learn, like, why not? Like, go ahead and do that. Um, the public courts there's so many at least in orange county there's so many public tennis courts that are just available to where i i don't see i don't see it really as a as a big issue i know in in other places where you know tennis courts aren't readily available or like you know if basically if you're living in a part of the country where the weather isn't as nice and you have to kind of share indoor spaces i know that can be a thing but for me personally it's kind of it's whatever i mean it's if if that's what you want to play more power to it as a you know People that take it seriously. Um, I don't know. It's like, in my opinion, it's like if I wouldn't take mini golf seriously, you know, as a as a profession type of thing. But uh, no, when it comes to the the wars, I've never seen any. I I mean, I used to work on these public courts when I first started teaching, and I went, you know recently down over there and it's all pickleball now. I'm like, oh wow, okay, well I guess that's what people were talking about being mad. I mean it's not completely converted, just the lines are on the court and it looks weird, but I don't know. I think it's I think it's all right.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good that's a healthy opinion. I, I try to have that as well. Like it's there's no point in I mean, you can't do anything, even if it's a trend that's going to go away. I mean, it's not going to go away, but it's going to maybe decrease, you know, because in in, in Sweden, we've had this like where I grew up, like it's it's you see people fall into trends. Now everybody's playing online poker. Now everybody's doing this. Now everybody's into this video game. Now everybody's into this. And it's like it's last a year or a little bit longer Uh, happened with Paddle, for example. Everybody, everybody plays Paddle. Now we're investing millions and millions into Paddle courts everywhere. And the last year or so, you know, they they overdid it. Like, puddle is still, uh, a, you know, a popular hobby, or you know, but it's it's overdone. So there's too many... Now there are too many centers, too many courts, because, you know, m- where money goes, there's going to happen stuff, you know. And, and people wanted to invest and, and make a living out of that. And I have friends who invested in, in puddle centers, and, and now they need to close some of them or, or convert them into something else. And that's just how it is. Like, if things go too fast, you know, you have to... To change and that might happen with pickleball as well. I have a feeling like okay, you know now it's not in to play pickleball. Now we play something else. Now it, something else. Is right. Bigger. The the interesting thing that I'd like to
1: keep track of is like because I don't know if it's been on your radar, but there's like leagues now where there's all like basketball players and tennis players have made investment in teams and like. Yeah. I mean, I I see the chat like I'm online a lot in the chatter is like oh pickleball is the next NFT craze basically where people are just dumping money in this and you don't know what's gonna happen um that'll be interesting I don't I don't know where that goes because I I feel you with that of like trends and phases because that's like everything with like fashion sneakers or whatever like hobbies um but yeah I I don't know where where that money goes and it, it would be nice if some of that money would be invested in in tennis um but I don't know for whatever reason people are jumping on board of that and I guess we'll see where it goes I don't have you ever watched it on like tv or anything like that or on youtube
0: yeah i have I've played it about, I even played a tournament right uh oh wow, nice yeah yeah well in Malta like local open i mean I, my my friend played for a while uh, he's a slightly overweight alcoholic, so I, I had to, to join. <laughs> uh, sorry sorry uh but no it's like so i i you know wanted to join his doubles and and it was fun Like we we were very good friends and and I wanted to kind of be a part of it and try it. I don't mind it at all uh so we played a, a bit but you know it's not even close to the same enjoyment i get of tennis but i mean i, I singles I, I can find some enjoyment in i do find this kitchen rule very silly and uh partly the name is very silly but it's like, like that there are a few things that kind of makes me feel like okay we're playing a, a a hobby here this is a hobby sport like there are other real sports uh that's just my feeling so when, and when i watched it on tv that feeling doesn't go away, right? I still feel like this is not good enough to be a sport. Like it's not physically demanding enough. Uh, I gotta get some angry pickleballers here, but, and it's, I mean, it's not skill-based enough in my opinion uh, to to make it feel like a sport, you know? I, and that's maybe becomes like an easy transition life for guys like Jack Sock. Or people like you know Sam query who, who then like oh I can be a pickleball star now because I'm not doing well in tennis because tennis is damn difficult to to even make a living from like they're, they're to even play well, uh, so so then their their transi- transition from that to a pickleball star is pretty fast you know and and uh, and it's not very enjoyable for me to watch I, w- I wouldn't watch it you know. That's why yeah I, I was like all right I'm I'm usually
1: very open minded about everything and I got on YouTube and I was like all right let's see the the U S open or whatever it is. And I was just kind of like, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I'm not going to watch any more of this, but I don't know. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. It is. I mean, when I was in uh it was interesting when I was in Guadalajara, uh, they announced Jeannie Bouchard on a pickleball, whatever, but then she was there playing tennis in Guadalajara. And I, I kind of wanted to ask like,
0: so what, you know, are you going to do both or what's happening? But I didn't get a chance to ask. I guess like they put money. I mean, she's a name in this, Terms of like, she built a pretty good personal brand when she was doing well in tennis, and mm-hmm. uh, she's good looking, uh, and and like that helps, of course. And then now she, they can obviously use that. And pickleball seems to have a lot of momentum and money, and that's what happens. So they throw money on on tennis players, and tennis players have a hard time dodging money. You know, it's like <laughs> they don't and they obviously want to get. You want to make so. money, yeah, yeah. So that, that's I guess what happens. But I I think as a product, it's not super strong, really, uh, honestly, and that's my opinion. And I know tennis is not. Maybe in the U.S. doing as well as as it can or as it has, because you know Agassi, Sampras, that whole era was was huge. Now we have Coco Golf playing really well on the women's side. Guys coming along now: Tommy Paul, uh, Ben Shelton, uh, Taylor Fritz, and so on. Are, are you watching any tennis? Uh, or do you have time to to watch some highlights or watch some matches when you're? Yeah,
1: post. So usually I'm I'm watching everything as much as I can so I can stay up to date. I know my recently my posts have been memes or whatever, but I, I like to stay informed just so I know what's going on. But post US Open, I haven't watched so like I, I was on I was at the tournament for San Diego Open, I was at the tournament for Guadalajara Open, uh, and that's pretty much all the tennis that I've watched just kind of in person. I know that now they're in Asia and there was some good matches, but the the time difference was a little bit too crazy for me. Like, I saw Sinner and Alcaraz, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to watch that. And it was, like, at 2 in the morning, but I was like, okay, no, I need to to sleep. So I haven't been watching. But what you said about American tennis, I was listening to um, Gil Gross yesterday, and somebody asked him a question about, like, what is, like, what's the best tennis nation? Is it Italy? Is it, you know, the United States? You know, um, and, like, the stat was something like the U.S. has... 10 players in the top 100 or something like basically where the numbers were a lot better than I thought when it comes to kind of like how you said, it's not, I wouldn't say it's the n- most popular thing, not even close in the United States when it comes to sports, people love American football or the NBA or even baseball. But it's, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say all respect to Taylor Fritz, but I I don't, you know, we're lacking the, you know, the one guy where it's like, okay, that's, you know, that's our star. I mean, Ben Shelton, maybe even though his ranking is still we don't know what he's going to be but he has those type of qualities basically where there's personality or even tiafo is now in the top 10 but uh yeah i think the state of american tennis is pretty good when it comes to just the sheer numbers of players that are playing well uh when it comes to the popularity of the sport like when i went to indian wells it was the busiest i like i'm talking about this last year it was the busiest i ever seen it, basically, in the past three, four years. Uh, A little bit of that might be the COVID rules and the restrictions, but I think a big help was um, the Netflix doc because there was, like, so much support for the players that were on that series. Like, for example, I know Anstrapur was popular before, but, like, just people screaming, losing their mind in, you know, in in the main stadium, just, oh, my God, Anstrapur or even... Just the fangirls following around, Matteo Berrettini, which is... I mean, he's always had that, but it was was different, I would say, after the Netflix series. Uh, So there was good showing for that. The U.S. Open was really great. I was there for the fan week and the first couple of days of the tournament, and it was as expensive as it was, which was ridiculous. It was packed. Um, I think they set a couple of records this year for attendance. So that was good uh, compared to San Diego Open, which... I like that tournament. It's a very small venue. It's basically like at a tennis club. The turnout was so-so, but I guess that's kind of to be expected to not be like a marquee event, even though it was a 500. Um, but I would say it's it's in a decent place. I don't think it's like in a terrible place. But there, I one thing that I've kind of learned from my Instagram is like there's a lot of people that are pretty interested in tennis that you wouldn't expect to be, like, into tennis. Like, people in the streetwear industry, you know, people in just different avenues of life, rappers and stuff like this that are like, wow, you're, like, like at the San Diego Open? Like, what do you, you know, like, it's one thing to go to the U.S. Open, but if you're, you know, like, if you're at a small event just to see the tennis, that's that's pretty cool. Um, So it's in a decent spot, I would say. It could be better, and I don't know. I mean, there's some answers I would say to help build you know more of an audience here that i think other sports in the u.s do a little bit better because it's like so difficult to figure out i get so many messages about like hey how do i how do i watch this match and it's like yeah um if it's on center you need tennis tv if it's on an outside court tennis channel's is fine it, it's I, I don't know how how you watch is it is it easier in europe uh like does one subscription get you covered
0: no, I think it's still a bit tricky but it's easier I think because I've heard from my American friends and followers like it's it's um you know t- that tennis channel even like they show like a lot of pickleball now and then it seems like the coverage is is quite spotty you know you don't know am I going to be able to watch this match I see some frustration in the comments you know about like I couldn't watch this match I I live of like tennis TV and uh, Eurosport player like Eurosport in the Euro- in the European region is is pretty good cover even this year they, they usually cover the slams and now they also got wimbledon which they didn't used to have the the license for so so for for us it's, it's pretty decent i have the you know the slams are more most important for me that's the what, what i watch unless i go live because i i really like watching live tennis that's that's the best you know obviously everything live is the best but it really is huge in tennis because you see the pace of the ball better and and the closer you get to the players, the more exciting it is because it, it's compl- you understand the movement. And if you're, if you're a player, you get so much more out of it. Uh, while watching on TV, sometimes it looks slower. It's like bird's eye view. The product is not packaged, in my opinion, the way it could be. It could be improved in so many ways to make it more engaging for the casual viewer. You know, For a tennis fan, it might be fine, but we have to also look outside the tennis fans. Yeah, there's a lot of just very
1: casual, and that's something that since because for a while my my page was kind of just i would say average milling around you know between a thousand to whatever five thousand but since i've kind of gotten bigger like i realized like a lot of my followers are very very casual uh so you you know it's kind of opened my mind a little bit of like oh okay something that's pretty obvious isn't maybe not so not so obvious like like you said in live tennis you can actually see the net clearance, the arc of the ball, the amount of spin, and that sadly doesn't translate the same on TV because it's that lifted view. And, uh, yeah, because I have this discussion a lot of times in my lessons, like, oh, I, I, I want to hit, like, you know, Yannick Sinner is just laser. And it's like, yeah, but there's actually, like, a lot of spin. <laughs> there's there's a ton of – it is fairly flat, but there's a lot of spin there. There's plenty of net clearance. So, um, yeah, I agree. It could be packaged differently, and, and it is kind of a nightmare to be able to – try to follow things. I know a lot of people have like sort of waging a war on the tennis channel because there was, uh, Oh, there was a really bad one where, um, was it Cincinnati where Carlos played Novak in the final? And it was that great best of three match that went like three and a half hours. Yeah. I think Cincinnati. Um, Yeah. So anyways, um, I don't know how, I think I was watching on tennis TV, but, uh, I don't, I unsubscribe from tennis channel because it's just not good in my opinion. Uh, so anyways, um, apparently the match cut out like because the you know the airtime hit its limit and so like people didn't get to see like the last three games plus I think the tiebreak end of that match and that was just like that's insane like how how does something like that happen so I don't know like I uh, so I talk some shit on Instagram like not not too much but like you know a little bit of that and I kind of you know like anti-tennis channel and then once I so I, I was able to get credentialed for some events and kind of get to see how they do their thing. And I was like, okay, you know what? It's they're they're good people. They're working hard, clearly. But I think um, there's things to improve for sure.
0: Yeah. From a what do you think from a, like a storytelling point of view? If we get back to kind of break point, do you think that I was a, a good vehicle for people that are new to tennis, but also for people who are like you and me, like into tennis?
1: Yeah. I I don't think it was for people like us, for sure. Like, because a lot of it that they could have done better is just kind of, you know, you don't have to explain what 15 love, 30 love is, but just, like, the way they would edit points and try to make, like, I remember, I can't remember the match, but they edited it in a way where it was like, oh my God, it's it's a break point. But it was like, yeah, the player was down two sets at Roland Garros. Like, this wasn't a tense, high leverage situation. It's not so not for us but for example i think my wife at least for me is a good kind of viewpoint she's casual and she really liked it she didn't know about ans jabor and she didn't know about you know um bedosa and the mental health thing and maria Sachary and her coach so for something like that i i think it it was pretty good for casual people just to get them to get them in there even, I mean, I would say for me, there was some high marks. Like I was really interested in the, the Nick Curios Wimbledon thing with uh Stephanos because that was, that was a big moment of that year. Um And like, there's, I feel like some things that they miss, but kind of like you said, you, you got to kill your darling. So don't know what's going on in the production, but I think it's, it's good. Um It's, it's kind of, for example, it does, I don't think it also works that it, it takes, so long for example like some of the storylines that released whatever it was like three months ago when they dropped the second uh season or whatever it was it's kind of like yeah for example someone like Paolo Midos, it's like you know what when it comes to this year she's been kind of not even playing like not even you know healthy enough to play so it's it is kind of weird to feature that or someone like Berrettini because when that like when they aired it he was you know in the second week of slams pretty commonly and was the top 10 player and now just more injuries um and he's kind of not really in the mix i would love to see him back in it but um i think it it works but also it, it could be better how i don't know i didn't finish film school i'm not sure <laughs> but um for casual people i think it's all right yeah I it's think better it's than better, nothing
0: definitely, yeah definitely better than nothing and definitely nice to see tennis get such a spotlight you know um, yeah, I saw the huge chess boom, like, you know, I used to play chess when I was younger and on a kind of a semi-professional level or trying, you know, winning, you know, uh, junior opens and stuff like that, but uh, then chess was not popular enough, not easy to make enough money, and then you had like Queen's Gambit, COVID streaming, online chess being huge, and now it's like a, a serious career, you could just be a streamer or it could be like, uh, you know, it's from, from e-game, esports, and stuff like that, so... It, it just helped it uh, a huge lot so being on netflix or some kind of streaming service uh is huge because it like it reaches su- such a big population who's just like scrolling through and then and, and seeing it so i really appreciate it i mean you can have your criticisms uh which i i completely 100 percent agree with with all of them you said you know and, and there's some things that maybe were a bit silly or not correct and i i, I definitely think you you make make a good point there it's like Today, things need to be a little bit more relevant, you know? So, I, I think time is is ticking fast. Like, everything's getting faster. Social media is, is instant. You know, you have news all the time. You can just be addicted to scrolling on your phone. So, having like a whole lagging half a season, full season, one season and a half, it's not good because like that player is now, and we see it in tennis especially, we can see it also in sports teams, for example. Like, there are a few players who are like on a hot streak and very relevant, but then if you look at this year, we had Oger Aliassim. Like, he's not done anything this year, pretty much. Like, it's pretty been a bad year for him. Uh, Stefanos started pretty well, but then it's been pretty bad. Sitsipas, but also a similar. Berettini. A few players that, that, like, oh, going into the season, is this going to be a, a top five, top three, top one player? Exactly. And, and just like a horrible season, you know? And I think. Uh... For example, someone like Ayla
1: Tamjanovic, I think that was a great choice because it's like she's, you know, uh, ranked high enough to get into the main draw of a Grand Slam but also probably isn't ranked high enough to get into a WTA, like, 500 or something like that. So there was an opportunity to maybe follow her to smaller tournaments, challengers, or someone like, uh, I think you're, you know, Roman Safiulin or his coach or yeah, something, yeah, it's right? A,
0: it's a of mine, yeah.
1: That would be a great player... I hope they're following. He's been playing great this year, actually. And he's someone that's, you know, is used to playing on an outside court at a small tournament and then now has to show up and play at, you know, Masters 1000 is kicking ass. So like stuff like that, I think could be maybe a little bit to bring in people like us who, you know, we don't know too much about that world unless we're personally connected to that player. Um, I think that's kind of a missed opportunity because they had Isla, but they didn't really feature that too much at all.
0: Yeah, I think like from talking to so many people now, like Felix uh, from Tennis Brothers last week, and it's like you could package things through social media so much better. So you actually, you know, because low-level tennis is interesting in the in the grind and in the like the lack of of amazing facilities, and and you're seeing the tough like journey from going to a, being a journeyman, as you used to call it, or journeywoman, uh, and then going through the ranks. Like I mean, Roman, for example, is a good uh, good good you know, option here. And I, I would love to talk to him about it if he's up for it. And I'll talk to him when he's back in Marbella. But he is like he go goes from being, you know, outside top hundred, not be, being in the main draws, just having an amazing season, beat Sverev, giving him like four games and reaching Wimbledon quarterfinals. Just been a dream season. And my friend just his first year being like a coach on that level, just being part of that, right. So it's just been a, a a very f- but that would have been a fun journey to document for example because you're seeing like everything with the f- with fresh eyes like oh is this how it is to be in the Wimbledon club and the Wim- you know it's it's like that so i think there's a lot of opportunities in in trying to find that story uh that is just like not maybe Cinderella but it's like has an arch of some kind you know and building that instead of maybe with breakpoint it was a little bit more like okay this is how glamorous tennis players lives are uh while it would be good also to show like how unglamorous some of the lower
1: levels of tennis is hundred percent. You know, who's actually been doing, I don't know if it's on your radar, but uh, Dasha Kazakina, her girlfriend, yeah. Natalia, those YouTube videos are like, in some cases, I learned more about the tournament than from that than on the Netflix doc. Cause it's, it's like when they featured Indian Wells, you know, they made it seem like the super glamorous thing, which it, it kind of is, but you know, on the youtube channel they're talking about like yeah the player's food is like whatever like or stuff like that and it's like whoa that's cool like and i mean it is a little bit glamorous because she's now i think she's out of the top 10 but she's borderline top 10 but it's more of a i don't want to say guerrilla style you know filmmaking but it's more realistic basically and i find that something like that a lot more interesting and there's a few other i mean um God, what's her name? Taylor Fritz's girlfriend kind of does the same thing. Uh, yeah. Morgan Riddle, I think. Right. And like, I I think those videos are more catered to somebody like my wife because a lot of it is like, oh, here's my skincare routine. And then here's a tennis tournament. But there's, there's other alternative content that uh, I think can help. And like, I actually, I'm going to try to create something like that soon here uh, for the next couple of tournaments that I'm going to be fortunately able to go to and uh, kind of inspired by Kazakina's page because I'm like, oh, you know what? That's actually a really like a great idea and an interesting perspective on it.
0: Yeah, I like that. Like, I like that it's it's raw. You know, I always liked that. I was kind of the part of the whole tennis nerd thing. It's like, I like when it's when it's not polished. It's not like CBS 60 minutes or, or whatever, you know, when, when it's like, it feels very formulaic and and all the questions seem, you know, oh, we, we, we had to check this before, we did this before, and I'm working in, in DC as well, like as a part of like following uh, George W. Bush around in the caravan and stuff like everything is, is very like prepared and and you had to do this and you had to check like the speech before and, and stuff like that. So uh, when you're part of that big media scene, um, it's not very sexy in my opinion. Like it doesn't feel very authentic or original. You're just stuck in that kind of like loop. And the same with talk, talk shows, you know, there's always like, oh, we have to, we talk for 30 seconds and then there's a three minute commercial. You're like, okay, this is, this is great. They don't get to any point of any depth or, or anything. It's just like, feels like very made up everything.
1: Actually your, your vlog, was it the, in, uh, I don't know where it was the boss open. Germany? Yeah, yeah, in Stuttgart, yeah, yeah. In Germany, I think maybe. It's great. Like you you covered the tournament basically. I've never been there, but I feel like I kind of know my way around now. You you even got on the practice courts, which is awesome. Like so like stuff like that is like really like the content that I feel like engages with people more so than being sorry to bring up tennis channel again, but in a in a green screen studio and very produced and it's just I don't know, it's just not for me
0: yeah I agree. I, I hope there's more of that. I think there will be more i mean Felix is you know showing his journey on tennis brothers, but there will also be i think it would be nice to see it also from kind of a more journalistic point of view and if you're going to tournaments, for example, like capturing the vibe uh, maybe talking to some people would be interesting, like hearing the fans like so what are you here to watch? How does the atmosphere feel like, so you're getting that kind of more raw behind the scenes feel of a tournament because that's where the crowds are that's where the real tennis fans are. And you can get a lot of insight from there. And I've tried a bit with my, my vlogs because I've had friends who are, you know, coaches. And, uh, you know, I know Steph a bit, Sitsipas and his brother and family. So so you get a little bit of, of insight. And I, I have accreditation as well. So I do get, like, into the player restaurant and stuff. And you, you get a different vibe from what you're seeing maybe on Netflix or what you're seeing as a spectator because you're behind the scenes. And it's, it's not as glamorous as it looks, you know, when you're publishing No, it's not. It, you know? Yeah,
1: I uh, so I was lucky enough to start to get credentials as like media. Um, so like San Diego Open, for example, not exactly a glam. You know, like the the press conference room wasn't like what you see on TV, where it's like they're up on a stage, and it was literally just a table, and you know, there's Jabur and Maria Sakari and me with my camera and my mic, and it's just like so. It's you know, it's just how it is. Um, I'll be actually, I'll be at uh, Cancun. Uh, the WTA finals in a couple of weeks, which is kind of exciting. But yeah, I kind of want to do something like that. I was thinking, I was like, ah, you know what? I should probably talk to some people because on the, you know, the application it said no no filming of any matches or anything like that. And that's kind of normally what I'll do. I'll find, you know, I'll record just technical things. So it's like, okay, that's not on the table. So I'm going to have to figure out something else. But uh it, it is actually going to be an interesting event because I'm seeing – memes of uh kind of roasting the event i don't know uh like on reddit the other day i saw someone posted they're building it it looks like on a gra- on a golf course it's just a grass field and they're building the stadium and people are saying it's going to be like fire fest and uh i don't i don't know we'll see i'll be there i don't think so because it's the, it's going to be the same uh i don't want to say production company but like tennis management company that puts on uh, Guadalajara, which in my opinion was a, was a great event. Um, it is interesting that they did choose Cancun, which doesn't have a, they're literally having to build a tennis venue, a courts and the whole thing when they could have used basically anywhere else. I mean, I get the, I'm going to enjoy it. Basically I'll be, you know, on the beach and then go do my press stuff, but like, it's, uh, I don't know. So I'll be boots on the ground covering, and hopefully I'll come up with some, some good content of that, you know, Of that liking of just sort of uh, boots on the ground type of thing and figuring out what's the vibe, who people came to watch, how many people are coming from, you know, not Cancun, uh, you know, internationally, I guess. But we'll
0: see. Yeah, that would be great. I'm looking forward to that content. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think also it's good for, I mean, I have a friend who's a tournament director of like five, six tournaments, WTA and ATP. And it's always interesting to get the behind-the-scenes look. I've been to the Labour Cup. I was behind the scenes there. I was with Wilson. That was that was fun. You know, you get to see the players. You you play on the court. We played on the, the practice court there and stuff. Um, but you have a different perspective. Like, oh, oh, you know, if the production, like the Labour Cup, is amazing, then you go to maybe another tournament and it's very much less amazing. You know, it doesn't even have to be Challenger. It could be ATP. And you go and you're like, okay, this was not... Uh, maybe how I would have done it, you know, and, and this is not where the crowd gets maybe maximum value for money. I've had a few of those experiences as well. So, uh, and then they're trying something like, you know, hopefully not Firefest, but something uh, a little bit new here in Cancun. And Cancun is like a tourist destination where people, you know, drink themselves to death or whatever. And and it, it, we'll see how how that plays out. And it might be if it's like the same production crew... Usually, it's it's a kind of bodes well for the quality of the event if they've already done things successfully. So I I would, I would love to see your your take on that. The interesting part of which you mentioned there was that I think ATP WTA they are getting a little bit um, I wouldn't say apprehensive. They're they're getting quite aggressive on like you know don't use our footage, don't film anything. Uh, we own this product. This is our event, our product. So it's tougher for guys like you and me and other media creators to actually film any playing happening. I, I haven't had a problem like when I've been traveling before. Stuttgart is always nice. I know the tournament director there and stuff. My Orca, no problem. Uh, but it, maybe that's happening in a way. And then you have to find other avenues of use of creating content, you know. Right. And that's,
1: like I said, when I got injured, that's actually sometimes in this sense, I'm going to say it's a good thing because now I have to get creative and find something else because, uh, yeah, typically what I would do even before I started getting media credentials is I would just buy a ticket get there early go to an outside court and and record you know an outside court match and get some footage and maybe i have something to post and i mean it it makes sense because of you know people pay for the broadcast rights and all of this and that's a big part of it and technically i'm broadcasting one point or whatever you know like so i i get it and luckily at the uh in san diego and guadalajara there was no media guide that said don't do this but for cancun there was like yeah don't don't do this basically there was like a whole number of things so i was like okay all right we'll we'll figure it out i'm just grateful to be a part of it basically to be able to get in with the credential because it is kind of when i was in san diego there was in my opinion some of the like legendary photographers and stuff and like real journalists and they were kind of like who who are you? What do you, what do you do? And that's kind of like, I, I have an Instagram. like <laughs> So uh, yeah, trying to kind of legitimize myself and trying to improve because like I said, this, you know, what I've been doing online has started to open doors for me. And now since I'm like in the room is trying to figure out, learn, first off, learn as much as possible and then try to find my own way of uh, kind of navigating in that room and seeing what happens from there.
0: It's an exciting space. Like I, I met this Italian guy at the head event in Paris uh, when, during the French Open, and I don't remember his channel now. It's, it's uh, sad, but it, it's like um, I'll put it in the in the description. But he's a he's a great videographer. Uh, imp- does impressive stuff. Does really like good edits. And he has found his voice. You know, so you're using, you're finding a voice, and you're bringing a different angle, which you're not getting from Tennis Channel, Tennis TV, which are you know. You know, they're huge companies or, you know, maybe not Tennis Channel. It's not a huge company. I don't know what the setup is, but at least they are huge production teams and and they're doing it in the kind of old-fashioned way. And here you can bring something a bit new, a bit up close. People are getting used to social media. People are getting used to watching reels or finding other angles. And for a coach like you, I think also going to the practice courts, maybe you're able to film there. That's where you can get really close because sometimes with the match play, it doesn't have that much value anyway because people can watch it on TV, watch the highlights. So where you can make a difference is kind of the stuff that happens behind all the tournament play. So I think that's where the interesting part is, you know.
1: Yeah, one of my uh, best posts from Guadalajara was uh, just Layla Fernandez picking up tennis balls, you know, filling up her racket like a junior, basically. And it's like, hey, like, these players do the same thing that you do. <laughs> like, everyone is accountable. Everything is about the same. Like, it's just... So, yeah, 100%. It, I, yeah, I met... Some people in New York, like a uh, tennis mentor, Ashley. Uh, Ashley,
0: yeah he's, great, yeah, he's a great guy. And I like him,
1: I it was so cool. I just kind of ran into him at a hotel. I'm like, hey, like, and we kind of knew each other from online. And it's it's cool to finally, there's been so much of that, which is kind of interesting in the past couple of years is like meeting someone in person that you know from the internet, basically. And it's it's cool. Like, it's, uh, it, it is kind of weird in a sense to where it's like, this is a complete stranger, but you know you know, what's going on in my life and all this stuff. It's,
0: it's, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a, I've learned over the years, like it's, it's um, like most communities are smaller than you think, right? Like, that's what I've, I've learned. Like, even you think, okay, I was in DC politics. I thought it would be, you know, huge loads of people, but after a while you get to know even like the senators and the congressmen and the staff, like you go in the same metro and whatever. Right. So you're getting to be in that small bubble world wherever you go, and tennis is the same. And tennis influencers or content creators, whatever you want to call it, tennis is a is a big sport. But it, in in the tennis industry, any industry, I think, becomes smaller and and more. You get to know people, and and uh, it's fun. And people people who like tennis are usually nice people, most of all all of them. And uh, you get to know new people, new uh, ideas, new where uh, you can do collaborations. And and I think it's it's a great great little crowd, and everybody loves playing tennis usually. So uh, you know, when you go to these other like events and stuff, you always find time to hit some balls or do something, which is kind of what unites us in a way. Right? Yeah, I'm gonna try. Yeah, I was talking to some of the other media people that I met. It's
1: like, hey, I'm I'm bringing my rackets to Cancun. I don't know, I don't know what court we're gonna be able to hit on, but like, bring your rackets.
0: We'll figure it out. <laughs> Should be courts there, I guess, right? But so, so, what rackets are you bringing now? We, we're getting into back to that uh, old topic again, but I'm curious. I'm I'm
1: sponsored by Wilson, basically, on, like, just the, you know, the typical coaches thing. So post-surgery, uh, my daily is kind of Clash Pro, easy on the arm. It does have some weight to it, so I can be able to rally. Uh, and I tried, uh, Luxlon Eco, which when, uh, when that came out, I was kind of like, yeah, whatever, it's, you know, plastic bottles, it's some whatever. But I actually really enjoy it, like, it's, it works for me, um, I can't use ALU power, it's too rough. I could go hybrid, but I don't really want to spend the money to get gut or anything like that. Not for what I'm doing. I mean, I did, after surgery, I did try to start playing matches again, just to kind of, because I felt like I needed to do it, basically, because I kind of thought I would never be able to play again. So uh, just whatever was easiest on the arm. Um, But then I, I... I'm like you, dude, I switch between rackets, like t-shirts, you know, like if, if it's not like something that I'm serious about, like lessons, Wilson Clash, I I've been using the shift, uh, then like blade basically. And I've, I mean, if I'm really feeling it, I'll use a pro staff or something like that. But, um, mainly day-to-day beater Wilson Clash pro 16 by 20, it kind of ticks all the boxes of what I need to be able to do. Um, and that's pretty much what I've, you know, what I've been using basically. Like before that, I was with Head for a while, and I was on the gravity, uh, the speed a little bit, and I was trying to do the prestige thing. I've got PT fifty seven A's, and it's fun, but it's just, I can't, <laughs> I can't realistically play a match like that. Shout out to that guy that you
0: said you played that, like was using that. But that's that's wild. Yeah, he played quite flat as well. So I think there, there's like you couldn't you can maybe get more. I, I, I get like the purist because I've you know, i been part purist or crazy tinker. but sometimes I feel like the purist maybe holds you back, but it's also like, okay, it. that's why I've said like, what makes you smile, you know, what makes you... Cause some people just can't play with modern rackets. I see a great benefit in some modern rackets. Like I see like, oh, they bring out the shift. It's such an easy racket to use. It has a nice feeling, you know, the 300 gram one I prefer in this case. And it's just like a, you get so much more for free. So it feels very difficult. Then you can start going back to a P7A or something. That's like a Wilson 6195, which I love when I started playing tennis, you know. And then you start noticing like, oh, uh, the sweet spot is is minuscule on this one. <laughs> you know, I don't get nothing for here, you know. So uh, it's fun to switch sometimes. But for me, I, my realization has been like in the last few uh, matches, because I've been playing a lot of matches recently is that it, the more I switch, the more I hurt my tennis. So just sticking to one racket for match play, at least helps a lot for me. You know, it's, it's, uh, then when it comes to coaching, I can understand the clash is perfect, you know?
1: It's so easy. Yeah, it's like soft. Even if I'm you know, lazy and miss hit a ball, it's perfectly fine. If I switch to even like a blade or something, I can start to feel it if I'm late and making contact like this, it, it can be rough. But uh, yeah, what are, what are you using? What's your match racket these days?
0: It's a good question. I, I um, recently started playing around, because I had a period where I went to uh, a court, like a period, it was like a few weeks ago, went to the court, I had so many test rackets, because I was testing the Prestiges, the new Prestiges are out now, Percepts, I had two, p- two or three Pacific bats, there was the Prestige Classic as well, which is now reissued, um, so there was a, too many rackets in the bag, and then you start Getting lost, like you start testing, oh, okay, I, you understand what 's happening you 've gone through like a, a a batch of rackets, so you 've gone through the prestigious, then you get to the percepts, and suddenly, like what you 're regularly using is just so far away i mean it 's like i I, I still don 't have like a super a good like oh, now I need to do a reset three day period because it 's so rapid with the rackets, I need to keep up you know and get the reviews out because otherwise I lose momentum and i don 't have time you know I want to do other content as well so. So then, then I lose that racket I was playing, which was the Radical MP from from Head, which is not like a fantastic racket by any means, but the, does most things pretty well, I would say. So it's a balanced racket. So that's still in the bag, the Radical. Trying now to stop playing around too much with rackets. Is but then the, I, I, the with, new Radical, the purplish one? The new Radical, yeah. The, mm. It's not maybe the sexiest you've seen, uh, depending on if you like orange or not, but it, it's, it's a good stick. Um, but I... Uh, I now just went to the bag and picked up a Prokenix KIQ Plus 5 Pro, which is a very bad name for a tennis racket because uh, not even I can, can, can remember it sometimes. But uh, and it's it's actually like very arm friendly, so you reset your arm a bit. Because since I'm testing so much, and you know this, if you have the whole rainbow of of Wilson rackets, for example, maybe different grips, shapes, and sizes, and then you have a new string, you're testing eco power, then you're testing another string, then it's a multi or whatever. So I just said, okay, I want to have an arm-friendly, a little bit easier to use option. So it's 100 square inch, which is not usually my comfort zone. But it has a 1620, which you mentioned with the clash. I like the 1620 because the 20 crosses actually help you control the ball a bit on the flatter shot. So you feel like you're a little bit more confident in just swinging out on the ball. And that, that has worked really well. Like, uh, you know, in the Open, I, I, I used it four matches, won three, lost the semis, but I couldn't work with, run with my foot. So I still played pretty okay. So, so far, so good. We'll see if next tournament, which starts on Wednesday, if I'm still with that. But yeah, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> the radical Dang, yeah. is coming in the bag, you know.
1: Yeah, of course. You got to take care of that foot, man. Yeah. I'm rolling like... on it now while we're talking. So it's, it's to... <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> Dang. Is, yeah. I, uh, cool. I haven't played like a proper tournament oof, in so long. And, and there's like some interesting things happening in Southern California. There was like a, a ladder that you didn't have to be a part of any tennis club. It was like just an Instagram thing basically where you get set up. Um, you know, you, it's like an app you pick a guy and then you have like two weeks to sort it out you report the score and you either move up and move down and uh like LA is a little bit out of my way but also I was kind of uh coming out of surgery and I didn't want to be out at the club getting beat playing bad tennis that's kind of not good for business if word starts getting around like so I was like all right I'll go to LA and uh god it's like the mentality like match mentality is so different than because I I able to hit balls every day and I hit a good ball but like getting into like oh man it's 30 40 I'm already down a break like what have I you know it's it it's crazy it's in more power to you that you're just like consistently doing it because that's the way you need to do it because if you're kind of I, I found if I'm like kind of hopping into competitive situations and out like I'm not improving basically
0: no it's it's a nightmare and I think also you mentioned a very very good point like if you're like you're a good player but if you're like just jumping into tournaments you're gonna feel like fish out of water and you're gonna have some tough losses maybe or just bad scores which you wouldn't normally have and then it it probably won't happen but people will be like oh you know you're not play, you're not a good player you're you're just you're a coach so you're supposed to have a little bit of like aura around being a coach because coaches are generally good players and even for me it can be like that like okay do you want to post this this shit match because people won't listen to my advice you know uh, I feel very confident about my tennis advice or my gear advice. I'm trying to be very, very balanced. Uh, comes from the journalistic background, I think. But obviously, I, I'm not, uh, you know, a fantastic player. I'm just trying to improve in my own, like, measurement, right? But, but like, for me, it was also like this. So I took, I played, loads of matches appeared, because, and then there's summer, so there's no tournaments here in Spain uh, or anywhere else, I guess. Like, it's pretty dead during summer because too hot. Why maybe. is that? It's strange, like, the tournament periods here, and it was the same thing when I lived in Malta, Was, it's like, starts, you know, a few weeks ago, like September or October, then it starts, like, you know, ITF Masters tournaments. We have a few opens. Uh, there was an open during the summer, which was the last tournament I played, and before that, I hadn't played in months. So I was like, like you said, first match you play, you're like, uh, what is this? What, what am I, I? I, the first set I lost... To a guy i don't think i should lose a set to and i was like how do i even do this i think i lost the sets like 6-3 or something i was like "Uh, what is this sport then i managed to you know and i was playing with three different rackets or whatever i'm like what what is my racket i don't even know and then you get into it and you start okay i have to fight i have to not give away points and after like a few matches you start seeing your own behavior a little bit better uh but then i had a few months off no tournaments played like two matches maybe uh, two weeks ago or something and I was playing horrible, like really, like wow, like you know, if eight rackets in the bag, different ones, and playing horrible. And then this week I decided, okay, man, I have to get back. I just bring two different rackets. That's the max I can bring to the court, and then I, I, will just stick to that. And then I now I'm, I'm feeling the ball again. I'm playing pretty okay. So for next week's matches, unless, yeah, unless my foot is gonna be bad, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. But it, it that's, it's match play, and I tell people that all the time that I talk to in consultations or just club players that you talk to. And I'm sure like for your students as well, if you have a student that's like, oh, I'm becoming better and better at playing tennis. And then you put them in a match situation and they're like, what on earth happened? I can't breathe. One of my opponents, like first round, he was like, oh, I'm not breathing well. Like he's a decent player, you know? And I'm like, did you play a tournament in a long time? No, no, I haven't. You know, I'm like, this is why that's you're struggling because you you're you're so nervous that the whole system just shuts down on you you know and then you can't play tennis it's like how it is it's 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 sad <laughs>
1: but that's that's nerves and that's that's kind of i mean that's what makes tennis so rewarding too is like it's one thing just to be able to hit the ball properly but to compete and to really put your throw yourself in the fire whether you're ready or not or healthy or not it's it's a crazy thing um uh and yeah i'm I should probably find... So it's funny, but we're the opposite here. I would say there's more tournaments during the summer during any time. So actually, just at my club this weekend, there was a tournament, and I was just kind of out there watching watching the matches, basically. And, uh, God, just so many, you know, people melting down and stuff. And it's like, man, I know. That's kind of why I make some of those memes, too, is a lot of the stuff where it's like, whatever, it's, it's self-deprecating. Like, I'll get inspiration from, like, getting... Some dude the other day, my buddy Jermaine, he hit, like, four drop shots on me in in one game, and I was like, what the hell, like, and so anyway, it it produced a meme out of it, because it's like, this is a real-life situation, this is a real thing, like, um, anyways, yeah, it's, uh, it's a wild thing. I, I do want to ask a a question about clothing, because you're switching rackets and stuff, what, what is your go-to, to to wear during a match, brand-wise, or maybe just, what are
0: that's a good question. Uh, yeah, so I have a friend of mine that ro- that lives here, and uh, that I got to know a few year, like maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago. Uh, Irakli, and he runs a brand called Nordic Dots, which is like pre-washed, kind of environmentally focused uh, tennis clothing. I mean, they do paddle and and some golf soon, maybe as well. I don't know, uh, but it's really great quality, you know. And uh, so he gives me clothes. I wear it. You know, there's no mon- financial really benefit for me technically but i love the clothes so I, um, I wear them most of the time but i can obviously wear adidas or nike or whatever if that's what's in my wardrobe you know i used to buy all the clothes myself but these clothes are, are so good because they last the washes and i feel like uh, they feel really good from the straight of, you know out of the box you know so uh, the pre-washing really helps i feel although it's maybe more for environmental friendly reasons so i wear those uh for for my my Tennis apparel, uh, and then I choose, I, I test shoes all the time. So that's a problem also with the, maybe that's why I'm rolling my Your foot. foot no, dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you feel that. But so what I, I've, I went to, um, and I can recommend people listening to this, like I I've, was feeling my knee a bit on and off. I have a left knee problem, but it, it's not there. If I play mainly on clay, it's not something I, I feel a lot, you know, these days. When I played in Malta on really heavy cement courts, I used to have more problems. So, uh, but still I was feeling, okay, a bit of niggles here and there. So I went to, um, a friend of mine, a podiatrist, and she recommended me to get like custom insoles to get really like, cause I was putting eight kilos, like 16 pounds, I guess on my left side. So it's like, when I'm playing tennis, I'm putting like so much more pressure on my left side, you know, cause you're always tilting a bit when you're playing tennis. And, uh, and it's just like the way maybe my foot, foot feet are shaped or and stuff like that. So I was like, wow, I'm putting that much more pressure. Then No wonder my knee is hurting, right? So I got some insoles to really balance out my feet. So they're not maybe so, um, you know, they're more balanced, like more flat. Like it's better to be a flat foot in tennis than having this uh, concave, you know, style of feet. The arches, so extreme arch, which I kind of have. So now I've been feeling no problems with the knee. Uh, So with the shoes I've been using now, I've been using the same shoes due to that. It's the A6 Gel Resolution 9 for clay. And then for for hard courts, I have Bubble Up Pro Pulse Fury 3. And those are really dampened shoes. I I focus not on speed or lightness or whatever. I, I try to focus on how... Can my knees stay as happy as, as possible, right? So the dampening and the comfort and the stability is is the key for me, not the speed or you know like that. The aesthetics, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. No, aesthetics I don't really even with tennis rackets, like I, the Procanics, is the is really ugly. It's called Top Banana on forums and stuff. Like it's 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 not a nice looking racket for Procanics. Right. Uh, I would if I would keep playing with, it, I would black it out or something, you know, because it's not very nice. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'm I'm not so picky on looks. I'm I'm more about playability and feel. Right. What about you? Wow. Shoes. Uh, God, I've tried. Right now, I'm
1: wearing uh on shoes the roger pro or whatever they call it i was at the uh on did an event in new york and i oh, was yeah, there That was
0: cool with roger right
1: that was pretty cool that was a good day yeah that um so i was there basically they invited me out and uh, i had no intention of going to new york basically but i got an invite and so i was like okay i'll make a trip out of this so i did that and i hit up you Know these other events and then went to the open, so it was. I've been on a good run recently, to be honest. So, uh, so yeah, I've been wearing the on shoes and just kind of seeing testing them out basically, seeing how long they last. So, I've since New York, so what is that, two and a half months, maybe a little bit less, of just seen how long they last. Uh, I like them. Uh, it took me this is gonna sound dumb, but like. I was moving around a bit in them, like, uh, more than I would like. And then after like a couple of weeks, I realized they gave me a size 11 and not a size 10 and a half. I'm a 10 and a half. Um, and I was told that's because, oh, usually you want to size up anyways, but I don't know. So I can't give it like a real honest review because it's not exactly my size, but for coaching, walking around long days on my feet, the extra room is actually kind of nice. So I'm enjoying them. They're heavy, but stable and like, if I'm plain plain, I'm I'm switching them out for uh, another shoe that was sent my way, uh, the Diodora b Icon. Uh, it took me a little time to adjust to the, the shape. It's kind of like higher up than, than what I'm used to, but uh, good shoe actually surprised me. I would have never have bought it if it wasn't sent to me, but if I was to buy a shoe again, I would probably buy that. It's pretty good. Um, I went through... I test... I mean, I'm not posting any content, but... I've been through, God, so many shoes this year. So there's those two. The New Balance Fuel Cell was fine. Uh, Not bad, but I didn't fall in love with it. The Vapor Pro, or the Vapor 9.5 came back. And I actually, that was kind of an interesting one because there was so much chatter online for years about like, hey, bring this shoe back. The new stuff sucks. And then it, it came back and they just sat on the, like nobody cared. I mean, you still see them around, and when I tried them, I wasn't... I was curious to see, is this just nostalgia of, like, was that shoe really that good? Or is it just, you know, I was, like, 10 years younger and I felt better? Um, and, yeah, it was it was fine. It wasn't, like, I wouldn't... I would still put the gel resolutions probably at the top of the list of just, you know, function and, like, you know, performance-wise of, like, what I need for a long day on court. Uh, tried the new whatever it is, the new Nike Vapor stuff, and it's fine, but... Yeah, I don't know. I tried I tried them all, and I I still think Asics is probably the way to go if I was going to buy a shoe. Actually, shout-out to Wilson. I know that's technically who I'm with. Uh, The Rush Pro is good. I liked it. Wore it out pretty fast. It, it surprised me how good it was, because normally racket brand shoes, I've never on anyone's radar, but decent shoe, actually. And luckily, I have no lower body issues. I try to maintain that. I do a lot of yoga and stuff like that to try to avoid anything. But... Uh, yeah, kind of like you in a way where I'm trying a bunch of different things and not really sticking to one thing in particular, at least not so far this year.
0: No, I think uh, that's, that's. I mean, it's tough sometimes for general people just to keep testing because it costs some money, of course. But but like there are many brands uh, that are not known, like the Adora, I don't think it's a very well-known brand in the US. It's not even like a, that a well-known brand in, in Europe or a very popular one, in my opinion. Uh, but it, it, they can produce some really good shoes, like a Mizuno, you know, there can be some shoes. I, I tried some new Lotto prototype that they sent to me because they wanted some opinion before it's released, like a year before. And that was like a very good shoe. Like, I really liked that shoe. It was excellent, right? So, I, I never tried properly a Lotto shoe before. So, you have to have always an open mind. Sometimes with, with rackets, it can be difficult because you, you feel like, oh, is this Alibaba? You know, they bought some mold from some, some. you know, it's just some crap that that they're pretending to be a new... Uh, innovation, but sometimes you are surprised. You know that's why you have to try to have an open mind. You know, even with strings, the Eco Power string, which I'm, I guess, the one you're using, not the Eco rough. is Eco Power. Right? No, it's the the green one, kind of like yeah. The uh, eco power, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: There's another one now, though, right? It's like gray Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Super. I haven't tried
0: that yet. That's very good. I I'm keen to hear what you think about that one because the Eco rough I preferred it over. I mean, Eco Power wasn't bad string, not by any means, but the eco rough actually really enjoyed that. Tried that in the radical. I only had one set. So I, sometimes I didn't get sent by company. I it was Henrik who gave it to me a, a body of mine test stuff as well. And, and yeah, some, I,
1: uh, we follow each other too. Henrik Wallenstein. I don't know if I, am yeah, yeah, exactly. that right. yeah, he's, yeah, he's cool.
0: He's, he's a good guy as well. He's also a gearhead, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, he gave me a set and, and I tried it, but sometimes it's funny. Like you, you get like string samples and then a company sends you like two sets. And you're like, okay, um, it's going to be tough to give you like a super good evaluation in, in two sets. I mean, sometimes I've gotten one set. Oh, you know, and you string it up in there, maybe the wrong tension, or it's in, not in the perfect racket for it, or it doesn't really work. So it's tough to make like that super detailed review if, if you get one set, you know, and for the company, I don't think the cost of sending a racket or a string is very high. So uh, sometimes their cheap cheapness is, is really hurting them, I think. Well,
1: that, it could be that, or also something that I've kind of found out in kind of like I said, now I'm in a different room now talking to brands is a lot of the times it's like not tennis people. So some, yeah. you know, somebody might just be like, oh, here's one. And that's, that's good enough. And they don't know that like, yeah, you're going to want to try it out for a couple weeks, different tensions. So like, it could be that as well, which is sad, you know, where it's like, it's not where yeah, kind of, I got to a level and I realized I was like, oh, there's actually not a lot of like, tennis people involved in in some of these brands and some of these decisions uh obviously the bigger brands they do have tennis people but some of it is uh i think probably part of like post-pandemic like hey tennis is sort of there's there's an uptick in it like let's let's get in here and so like there's a reason why i asked about the clothing and stuff because like different new you know new tennis clothes have come out and then it's like oh these materials are like, you've, ne- you've probably never played tennis before because, like, these materials are not made for tennis, basically. Um, so, yeah, that's another whole – that's a whole other can of worms.
0: Yeah, exactly. Do you see that when you're a student, for example? Do, they, do some people show up in, in sneakers or are they, they know what to wear and they are in, into gear? Oh, man. Of- so, beginners, no. I see a lot of – beginners, it's always, like,
1: a running shoe. Like a Hoka or something. I don't know if they're big in Europe, but they're they yeah, became... yeah. I've
0: seen them. People love Hoka's apparently. right? I heard some yeah. friends like, oh, it's so they're
1: comfortable. Huge here in the U.S. And like, I don't. I've never. I'm a pretty big sneakerhead to be honest. So I'm like whole into that. And like, just the shape is weird to me. Like, I like running shoes too. But anyway, so a lot of Hoka's, uh, different, you know, running shoes. And then basically, I don't say first couple lessons. I don't say anything because it's like, hey, you're you're here. I don't want people to think like because tennis is an expensive sport and I don't want people to feel like, oh my God, I have to buy all this stuff. This racket is not good. you mean this racket from Target doesn't work? Like, so, um, yeah, a lot of that. I have been seeing a lot of, uh, there's a whole community in LA of like this tennis crew, which is really cool. They're great people, but they wear basketball shoes on court, which is, I mean, I've done that before when I was in high school. Uh, And like, if you're going to wear a different shoe, It's somewhat relatable when it comes to, like, the lateral mobility. It's going to get destroyed on a court. I mean, actually, I don't know if you've been keeping track. Layla Fernandez, she's been wearing a basketball shoe, which is, like, wild. I, I, Like, so I saw that in San Diego, and, like, I didn't even catch it. I posted a video of her practicing, and I got, like, 10 DMs of, like, what is she wearing? And I was looking at it and trying to, like, ID it. I couldn't do it. And then eventually in Guadalajara, a buddy of mine got like a one on one interview with her and was like, dude, you have to ask this question. And like she was cool. I I thought she wasn't going to answer it because it would be like a hush hush type of thing. But she's like, no, I I like the shoe. (laughs) It's like, whoa, that's that's interesting. Uh, So I see some basketball shoes, um, a lot of like uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, you know how like Nike has their like premium shoe. And then there's like the next tier, and then like the lower tier. I don't even I don't even know what they're called, but I see a lot of that, um, and it's like okay, I guess it's fine. I have never worn them. I've always just bought you know whatever the premium shoe is. But uh, for the most part, running shoes to basketball to like that, and then obviously when you find like a real player, they're wearing a proper a proper tennis shoe. It's usually a lot of Nike, like the whatever the Vapor. Whatever it's called, you know the the one that's that the players are wearing now or not wearing actually, Um which Paper eleven maybe you've seen yes that, that exactly pro, and pro uh,
0: oh there's pro two as well Paper
1: pro the two. pro two I see a ton of that and I think a little bit of that is just people love Nike like they just have a a brand loyalty to Nike even even though their tennis stuff I think has been not great for kind of a while I can't. I can't remember the last time, because, like, if I like something, I'll buy it. I can't remember the last time I bought actually bought something from Nike Court. I mean, their, uh, their Instagram doesn't exist anymore. They, like, when Tiafo I don't know if you remember his, his outfit for Australian Open with all the colors, and, like,
0: yeah.
1: people were tagging Nike Court, you know, the fuck is this, blah, 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 and then their Instagram has gone away. Like, and it's still gone, uh, which is crazy, because they have like a great stable of players, even though a bunch left. I mean, think Carlos, Francis, Sinner, like, but um, anyways, people usually will just wear Nike. I don't see a lot of Adidas around. When the Barricade came out again, there was a lot of that, but then I think people just, oh, people just kind of switched to Asics and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I think like that signaled a little bit of, um, I mean, not only that, but like Nike took a step back after Roger, I think, like went to Uniqlo and, and uh, they lost a little bit of that with the rf uh, mess they had and he wanted the logo back but they had a contract i think they kind of stepped away a bit from tennis you know at least internally i I don't know obviously i'm not not working for nike i have a friend there but um you don't see them so much into tennis and and their outfits to be fair if you look at apparel like when they were on their their the prime you know they had agassiz sampras and then the years after they had nadal and federer who kind of carrying the whole brand People were buying everything from Fed or Rafa, depending on their hero. So it's just like, you know, who do you like? You're a Rafa guy, you're a Fed guy. You buy this outfit with like the sleeveless shirt and the pirate pants or whatever. I had those. The... Yeah, I love those too. <laughs> it's I mean crazy. Or we... you buy like the classic Federer, you know, we're like Darth Federer who's like gliding on the court and it was just like prime time tennis because you had these two gladiators with different styles, like two Marvel superheroes with different superpowers, you know? So if for a marketing from a marketing point of view it was like dreamland to to be in tennis and then now i guess like basketball and, and american football whatever it was so much more exciting for nike or maybe more financially viable because they're no like i mean they have alcaraz but it's it's tough for you obviously to just maybe sell stuff through him as, as they could through fed and Nadal.
1: yeah i i mean we'll see you're right like alcaraz is definitely like the shining star now obviously he has a, a long way to go to reach that same status as those guys but I think it's there because it's like Alcaraz is universally loved. Sinner is basically universally universally loved. Uh, Holger Runa's Nike too, right? So that's like three. Yeah, and like I know people feel a certain way. Some people love him, some people not so much. But like that's not bad. Like when it comes to like, all right, because tiafo's sort of in the middle generation of like, all right, he's maybe got... 6 or 7 years or I don't know I don't want to put a date on it but when you think of like the next generation there there probably is an opportunity but I think you're right where maybe there's just not a lot of return of investment I mean uh when it comes to how cuz tennis is niche basically there's it's it's niche of niche especially tennis clothes um there's a lot of like I said other brands that have sort of like, for example, and I'm not just being like a a shill here, but like the Wilson stuff has gotten better. Like the Wilson clothing before it would, you would literally only see like a, like a tennis coach wearing it because they gave it to him. And it's like, it's whatever, it's free. But like, at least here in LA, because like, so here in LA, I'm in Orange County, but I'll go to LA a lot. And like, little by little, I see a lot of like, sort of like the classic tennis style of like what Wilson has done or even Aloe or Lululemon, different things, which are almost just as expensive as Nike basically, or if not more. Uh, And people have been kind of gravitating towards that rather than, you know, Nike or Adidas or Asics, I guess has never been really big on clothing, but any of the, the top clothing companies that I guess used to have like the marketplace within their grasp, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like like you said, I'm not there, but I, I think, and also I think a little bit of it too could be, at least with with Nike, with the shoes is like their biggest release of the year was like the Vapor 9.5 coming back. And it's like, how much do they want to promote a shoe that they did 10 years ago, as opposed to like the newest technology of the day? So I don't know. It's got to be kind of weird.
0: Yeah it's uh, you 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 do feel it like and also there's more space now for smaller brands to to make you know uh, an impact or for like standard tennis brands I also think that the Wilson line is one that has taken maybe the biggest step from all the manufacturers like Babolat they're not even trying uh, but and Yonex usually pretty ugly sorry Yonex like your clothes are not famous for for being like great looking on the tennis court uh, but the Wilson really took a step up you know I don't know if they have any players that I can think of like it seems to be like people use Wilson Rackets get Nike clothes or something, you know? Yeah, it's uh, they have one, uh, Marta Kostiuk.
1: She's oh, like yeah. their one, whatever they call it, 360 athlete. Um, which like is like I was saying is interesting because like most of the time I think probably before the pathway was like, all right, put the gear on the players and people will buy it. But uh, for example, like a bunch of guys wearing Wilson stuff and like they don't really sponsor a male player on the tour. It just It looks good. The quality is like decent. Uh, They really don't even have like they have a few brick and mortar stores around, but like it's mainly just like an online thing. So, it's it's interesting to kind of watch things sort of change little by little. Don't know where that goes or how long it lasts, but yeah, I would agree. Wilson has kind of stepped it up, and like like I said, Lululemon, it's good. Their clothes are good. They're expensive, but like they're They're not specifically made for tennis, but like. I mean, Andrew, Andrew, Adrian Manorino is like wearing Lulu out there. I'm pretty sure it's not, it's not a sponsored thing, but like when I saw him up close, I was like, I think he's wearing Lululemon. <laughs> so it, it's functional. It's, it works.
0: Yeah. They think they, um, these brands, like, I mean, I think American Pen- penguin, is that what they're called? I think the I wore that. Yeah. Or still wears that looks that. good. Looks very good. Like also, I mean, um, and the Kostuk's clothes look great. Like she has these kind of outfits that you don't see on anyone else. So I think they, these are really nice. And you can make a statement like this is a solo sport so for most of the time. So you have actually a great idea, a great way here for a brand to look different. And sometimes in tennis, you have two guys that wear the same exact outfit. And you're like, what is this? This is a failed marketing opportunity 101, right? Like you have two guys wearing the exact same outfit playing U.S. Open quarterfinals, you know, this is prime time, you know, what are you doing? Well, how can you fail with this? Like it should be, you should immediately send a better set or another kit or, or tell them to wear different kits or whatever, but it's. Wear different colors. Tennis. Yeah,
1: it's crazy. Yeah, I
0: know it's, uh, or even like, I think
1: what the NBA does well, because the NBA, they have to wear a uniform. Um, but like a big thing is, I don't know if you watch, but like the, the tunnel walk when they're entering yeah. their arena, they're always dripped out in some type of brand. And I think that kind of brings in excitement, even from like, not even if you're a basketball player, like, dang, what was what was LeBron wearing? Like, what 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 is that? And that kind of brings in outside money and outside interest into the sport with someone, you know, it brings in just a whole different avenue, which I think... I mean, there was one instance where, uh, I don't know if you remember it, Venus Williams was walking into the U S open and was wearing like some super flash outfits. And it's like, Whoa, that's actually pretty cool. I-, I think maybe tennis can start doing that. I don't know if players would be into that. Cause I know most players are kind of low key, but I can think of a few that like Carlos loves sneakers. Like, I think he would be super into that. If, if Nike was kind of like, Hey, let's, let's do something. Let's make uh let's make something out of nothing basically that doesn't exist yet,
0: but I don't, that's me giving away ideas for free, basically. <laughs> no, but yeah, sometimes we have to do that. I think that's this, uh, I, I try to do that a lot, like, I, and they're probably bad ideas, but I think like a lot could be done in the production, you know, it's like production of tennis as a sport, because like what sells, you know, usually, I mean, whether you like it or not, people like the drama, they like some aggro, they like some, um, coaching or they like something happening on the court because a lot of tennis is pretty stale like so you have 25 seconds you have to wait before the shots they do the warm-up which takes uh, time from the actual entertainment of the event people cannot talk so they i mean us maybe they they the us open is a little bit more rowdy but still like the players are really kind of you know oh you have to be quiet and, and stuff like that and that kind of sells tennis as a pretty boring, old-fashioned product. And I think there's something we need to change there. And, you know, look wearing flesh, flashy outfits, having more of a personality, or, or actually, you know, getting players to wear more of their personality on the court and being allowed to maybe cuss a bit, or, you know, throwing a racket doesn't give you like a points penalty unless it's you hit someone or whatever. I think that's good for tennis. I mean, like, look at McEnroe. I mean, he sold loads of tickets. Curious, crazy guy on court, but sells loads of tickets, you know, interesting personalities people want to watch because there's something different there. And I think we just have to sometimes uh, get away from this being like this old school gentlemanly sport. It has to be entertainment, you know, and that's what we're, we're selling. And tennis has so many emotions. We talked about like playing a tournament, playing a match. There's so many emotions happening in your body while you're playing. And it's like, you're nervous. You're you, you, everybody knows how, who plays matches, how it feels to double fault on a set point or, we're doing something stupid or just unforced error in the middle of the net on an important, uh, you know, moment in the match. So I think we need to capture that better and, and endorse that a bit better.
1: Have you uh, been keeping track of, uh, I don't know what they call it, UTS League, the ultimate title showdown? Yeah, tennis yeah, yeah, show yeah, 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 I've, I've seen Okay, it. so they had one in LA like two or three months ago before the US Open and i was going to go regardless because it's tennis it's as close as it's going to get because indian wells is still about two hours from where i'm at um and i thought it was going to be kind of because i I watched the original one during the pandemic and it was like all right whatever this is better than better than nothing uh i thought it was going to be kind of gimmicky and corny but it was a bit of kind of like the atmosphere that you described it was like just as much fun as pretty much anything else that i've been to obviously it's not real tennis the format is kind of funny but when it came to like the environment they had uh the DJ of the LA Clippers there and it was like being at a basketball game which like if you're if you've been at a US basketball game basically as the 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 game is going there's music there's like a DJ actually playing songs and then if it gets to like a tense moment like he'll lower the volume and then just like you know let them play but like as soon as like it happens boom music again and this was happening during the UTS. And it was like a, a very different environment. There wasn't a a quiet, please. It was literally do whatever you want, walk up and down, go to the restroom whenever you want. Uh, I mean, it was hammed up a little bit. Like uh, my friend Mark was was the MC and like Benoit Pair cracks a racket and like literally like immediately the MC is like, who wants a free racket? And everyone's like, "Woo!" and he throws his racket in the stands. It, it was, that was maybe a little bit much, but like there was some aspects of it that I think... Are good. They had the coaches on the court and like the coach, let's say if there's a changeover, the coach would change over with the player. So it's not like the what we have now, where it's like okay, you can coach, but only if the player is on your side, and if they're on the other side, you can't do anything. Which is kind of I don't know. I think that's kind of dumb. You should be if you're gonna be able to coach, you should be allowed to coach. um And also like, not all the players brought their like real coach. Um, but like they announced and said, "Hey, you know this is Gael Monfils' coach," and that's something that I think the tennis broadcast we never really know unless it's someone super famous or like Stefano Tsitsipas. Everyone knows his dad is his coach. Like, but a lot of the times you're watching and they'll they'll show the box and it'll be like, "Who, who is that? Like, who are those people?" So I mean, when you watch like a a Lakers game, you know the Lakers' coach. They have they maybe even say something about him. So I think that could be something something interesting and there's there's bits of the UTS which I think are good I don't know how that would translate to like a real tennis match but I I, I don't know I think any of these tournaments can like like a real tournament can experiment and try because I know uh Laver Cup kind of had that weird were you when you said you were there were you at this last one no no in, in Geneva uh,
0: 2019 ah, okay so. But there was had... Roger and Rafa playing doubles, so it was a good good time. Yeah.
1: That was a good time. Well, because this last one was kind of weird, right? With the whole thing between Monfils and FF- yeah. FAA of, like, there is, like, what, you know, what is this event, kind of? Is this a serious thing? Is this not a serious thing? And it would be interesting for just, I don't know, make it the ATP finals or just some, you know, whatever thing where it's, like, all right, we're going to try a different, not necessarily a different format, but, like, hey, if you want to get up, go get up because that's another thing having gone to so many tournaments like casual people don't understand that like you can't just get up and go use the restroom when you want to like like in baseball or other sports you have to wait for a changeover and you're literally stuck in there or if you go to the restroom and come back and it's the end of the set you have to wait until the third game to get back in and that's like a lot of people I saw a lot of really upset people like hey I'm here I want to go in and like they just didn't understand and um Maybe it's a good thing, maybe not, but I, I agree with you. There's probably a few things that we can do to kind of open things up and keep it a little, a little bit more light. I know in some places like Wimbledon that would never happen because it's all proper. They still have their curfew and stuff like that. But at the U.S. Open, it was a little, a little bit rowdy, but there was still like the umpire turning back, hey, we can hear you, can you keep it down type of deal.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm actually becoming more and more um, seeing tennis like as more working in tennis. You're like seeing it more as a product and like you have to sell it. And without being like with you know still loving the sport as uh, I have since I was a kid, but you you need to add some elements and I think you need to let in some noise and and let like players get used to it because I think in the beginning every every change feels weird in in every aspect of life. Like if you change something, it feels strange. You you have to get used to it. It's like the human behavior, right? But the players are so used to like oh, being coddled with the silence and I have to, you know, get my seconds before I serve and stuff. But, you know, if you can't deal with that, then that's maybe not for you, right? This is something that has to, to change. And I, I also like, people usually get pissed like, oh, but tennis is a single sport. You're, you should be able to solve your own problems. Otherwise, you can. But the coaching dynamic adds so much to the storytelling. Like, who is this coach? Why did he work? With, why does he work with him? How long have they worked together? Why? What does this coach add to his game or detract from his game? What is the dynamic? That adds relationship and relationship is interesting, right? So, I think sometimes we forget relationships in tennis. We sell this product as like this guy who has good ground strokes and a good first serve plays this guy who has good ground strokes and a good first serve, and the game is just pretty dull. Like that's not a product you want to watch, you know. But if you have, if they have some aggro. You sell that like oh the history of these two guys they don't like each other because when they were thirteen they had like a fist fight in the in the locker room you know that's a story and you can oh so they don't like each other much more fun to watch like there's an extra added you know spice on the line and if you have a coach there there's a story behind the coach and the section of the coach and they have arguments or so the player and the coach have, have arguments. And that's just added entertainment value to the product. I don't think it attracts anything, really. Like, what's what's the problem? You know, it's like just people who are very sports purists that think that it's a huge issue.
1: Yeah, probably. And I mean, tennis-wise, it hasn't been bad. But one of my favorite rivalries to have kept track of in the past years is Stefanos and Danil. And it's just, there's, there's you can go deep down in the rabbit hole of when that started, on the outside court in Miami, and even up until this year where it's like, Danil danced because Stefanos danced last year and like even with the coaching stuff like that iconic moment like can he talk every point like man you're a small cat to the umpire that's like and it's awesome like it's, it's actually really really awesome to see depending you know it doesn't matter who you support or like I said even sometimes the matches are kind of whatever but just knowing when you see that matchup you're, I'm like okay I'm tuning in for that because something's gonna happen like or something will lead from that uh, and there's Mm, not too much of that. I don't know who else has like beef. I mean, how much could you have? Because a lot of it, like, I think people don't understand is like right after the mat, they see each other in the locker room. They probably are staying at the same hotel. You know, it's kind of, it's such a small, like, that's something that I realized starting with credentials is it's literally like, like play the match, do press. And they're both like there. (laughs) So it's like it, I don't know, but yeah, I think, uh, That helps with tennis and I don't see how it takes away from the product at all. It's just a bunch of old heads basically kind of like, but like you said, even back in the day, it was like that. I mean, Jimmy Connors was like, you know, a wild man himself. It wasn't my era, but from the stuff I've read between him and McEnroe and it's always gone on. It only helps.
0: Yeah. There's, I don't see any big issues. Like, I mean, the players might find it like, oh, do, you know, some players will want to be Iceman like Borg. But at least you have a contrast. So you had McEnroe then, you know, you can have Curious and then you're a guy who doesn't make any emotions and Curious trying to get under his skin. That's an interesting drama. Just taking Curious as an example, there's other guys that, that do that too. But I think we need to allow the personalities to be there, the coaches to be a part of the personality because that grows the story of the player. And, you know, if he changes coaches, that's interesting. And having more moments like, I mean, you had Curious, you know, Sitsipas in Wimbledon. That was like maybe not the best played match ever. But the drama was, was so selling, marketable, interesting, that it leads to so much more social media expo- exposure, you know, exposure online, tennis grows, because I think sometimes we overstate the value of the actual tennis quality, because a lot of matches are mediocre. Like, you know, tennis, it can be like, oh, okay, this guy's serving well, and then he has a bad peer, he's doing some double faults, so he's losing this at 4-6. Tennis quality is like when you see Alcaraz Djokovic. Okay, that's amazing tennis quality. Or or even Alcaraz Sinner, Federer Rafa. These guys that can play on like astronomical levels of tennis. But in many other matches, it's more interesting maybe if you reduce the tennis quality by 10% and you add the personal drama or the, the inner turmoil of the player and you get the storytelling. It's not the tennis quality because the tennis quality is going to be good enough anyway. These are professional players. They are great players. But the drama and the story is sometimes missing. And that I think we tend to need to focus on more. How do we package the product that is already good to sell that? Right. A
1: hundred percent. Yeah, cause I can agree. I mean, you go back. Obviously, I'm a fan of Danil, but like Daniil and Zverev and Monte Carlo, just the whole thing with the crowd telling them to sh- like quality was not a great match, but like that's a very memorable match of the year like that because that was insane. Um, but yeah, I think. Well, I don't know where that comes from because tennis is like in a weird thing because it's like tournament by tournament unless the ATP just decides, all right, this is we're going to try to like start creating storylines and do stuff like that, which they totally could. They should. Uh, but I don't know, maybe. Well, we'll see what happens. Hopefully something like that starts to uh, develop because it would make it a lot more interesting, especially just for casual people. Yeah, for sure.
0: For sure. Uh, I agree with the, with everything you said there, and also Medvedev is is one of my favorite players because I think his his honesty and kind of like odd um, octopus style of tennis is is very marketable in itself. Like, but it's also like you need someone to actually be blunt, you know, and just say whatever. I think that's it's great for tennis. A hundred
1: percent. Yeah, I feel like a lot of players are kind of because they'll get caught in like a soundbite or something, or afraid to actually give. Like a proper opinion, Uh, something that I've realized kind of starting to become more of a proper, you know, member of the media is when I was in San Diego, uh, there was a another journalist there, like the news had just dropped of Simona Halep and, you know, her, you know, her case. And she was just asking the question of how do you feel about the process? Is it fair? Not so much how you feel about Simona, but just, you know, when they come test you, are you properly notified? What is that like? And uh, Maria Sakari gave a, like, a great soundbite, actually. She was, it was like, the question wasn't, like, with any malice. It was just kind of like, hey, you know, what is it like for you? Maria gave a great answer of, like, yeah, you know what, I have to be super careful. Sometimes I'm afraid to even take electrolytes because i don't know you know um and so that soundbite got put on twitter it was miscredited to begin with it got put on twitter and then like nick curios goes oh why are all these players complaining and like maria wasn't complaining she was just kind of answering the question it was in a very thoughtful interesting answer but it kind of became a whole shitstorm storm in a way it wasn't massive but like if you were looking at it 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 came off very different than how it went in person in that moment. And that's when I kind of realized, like, oh, this is why players don't really want to talk because it can very easily be taken out of context. And, I mean, that's kind of the criticism of tennis players. It's like, oh, there's no personality or anything. I'm sure I'm sure they're fun. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of fun people that have great personalities, but they're probably a little bit afraid to get caught up in some nonsense could affect their marketability or anything like that to where things can get out of hand very quickly even if it wasn't a small thing like like what I
0: witnessed basically in San Diego I think that's that leads to a very important point because you said it this like social media is obviously a weapon or can be weaponized very quickly so like one wrong quote and I've seen it on Twitter or X whatever it's called and it's just snowballs it's like a, it's like a misquote that then someone influential comments on, which gives it some validity, although it was a misquote and nobody knows that or or puts tries to change that because it's happening so fast, and then suddenly it's a snowball and then you have like a shitstorm coming from nowhere, which is not even like has any real validity, It's just like made up kind of from from exactly. this misquote. So, so I, I completely understand from the player's point of view, and I think I've I've I think there's something that media creators, I'm trying to put that if I'm creating media or doing interviews, or whatever, I don't want to put anyone in like an unnecessary bad light or just create like this, um, drama from nothing right now. Or, or, or cause I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel good doing that. I, cause I, you can put yourself in the player's shoes, even if you could get some clicks or some views or some extra, I think it's as a creator, it's better to have the integrity, uh, kind of how media used to be in the old days. Nowadays, like everybody's kind of trying to clickbait, even the New York times, you know, uh, to just be like, okay. Let's not chase clicks. Let's give the story. Let's try to be as balanced as possible and give an entertaining or informative story out of this. I think that is the way to act. But that's also, kind okay, of maybe my old-fashioned, old-school view. But it's like how I try to do it. You know, same man. It it kind of should be that way. At least I feel I'm not, you know,
1: properly trained in media. But when I was there, just kind of observing, and I I watched this happen, and I was kind of like, whoa, that's. And I even almost felt bad one of my questions to to Maria was because she came without her coach. She mentioned that she came, she's on, She's like, I came out here on my own. I needed some time away. And this is like right after the U.S. Open where she kind of had, you know, lost on the first day and kind of broke down in the media room. Um, and I I started to ask my question in the middle. I was like, oh, shit, am I setting her up for something bad? Cause my, my thing was like, you know, how does it feel to be here without, you know, without your team? Does it take you back to junior days having you to figure it out on your own stuff like this? And her answer was like, no, actually being away from them made me realize how much I actually need them. And it, you know, but I, when I was asking it, I was like, dang, did I set that up badly? I don't want it to seem like I'm trying to like, fire your coach or anything like that, because they're, they're a great team, obviously. And what was funny about that is like, literally the next week, wins her first wta one thousand with the coach back in her box, so that's like kind of a nice a nice story nice moment of the year but I realize you kind of have to be kind of careful about like how you frame things and ask things or even how you post things on social media because sometimes I'll post it's usually with with the big three I'll post whatever and then I look at the comments and it's like chaos and I'm like how did this how did this happen like it has nothing to do with what I posted but it's how it goes I guess I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think we all have to navigate this. Like it's a it's a treacherous minefield, like social media, because like you you might have an intention with a story or a question, and like I said, it's like it it can change quite drastically, and you don't wanna. It's tougher in an individual sport like tennis because the players are generally nice people. They want to go on with their lives. Playing tennis is is already a hassle because there's so much stuff involved, doing media stuff. Maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea. Some people are just born for it and very natural and very good at doing press conference. We have Danil, we have maybe Nick sometimes if he's in the mood. And and other guys and Roger and Novak, they're like super pros of of press conferences. But then for some people, it's just like I I just play tennis. I'm one of the best in the world playing tennis. I don't want to deal with this I don't want to hand, have like social media on me or they have like these death threats from gamblers losing money and stuff so it can be a grim side of that as well so I think you always have to keep that in the back of your head when you're when you're you know being a journalist or being a media guy or girl right 100% Dang. well i'll let you go man <laughs> thanks 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 yeah. tony it was great like uh, let's do it again at some point hopefully we can meet in in person that would also be great uh, i need to get to the states uh, i haven't been in a few years so it's it's about time after covid yeah. now to get back and and watch some tennis and meet some tennis people. I have so many people I know there so it's, it's uh it's I bet. Uh, great.
1: Yeah, come through and I actually might be your way uh, cuz I'm going to go see my buddy. I'm already probably next summer so I'll let you know if I'm that
0: way. I'm sure we'll talk before then but yeah, definitely man. This was uh this was a lot of fun. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. And good luck on your uh, adventures now going to Cancun and and following the the tour. I think that's great and I'll keep watching your content and and hopefully more of these these memes because I think also it's great for tennis to to use other channels and forms of communication uh, to kind of grow the sport, you know, or get some more eyeballs. Yeah, it translates
1: well. It's something that I didn't think would, because like, for a little bit in the beginning, I was kind of just entertaining myself <laughs> in a way. And it's like, it's, uh, well, I mean, I'm a tennis player and it relates to other tennis players. So it, it's gone pretty well. So I'm going to keep at it and kind of see see where
0: it leads me. Awesome, man. Well, uh, have a nice day now and we we keep in touch. All right, man. Sounds good. See ya.